Good afternoon, guys. We are on Polymaths. So this is episode 80, 18. 18. We've already, I can never remember the episode. 18, yeah. Episode 18. Seems like 18. Which, no, it doesn't seem like 18 at all. We're on episode 18. My name is um, Chris Frostin. I'm uh, Ashley Cunning. And you can find you can find us on Twitter. We'll do some housekeeping again. You can find us on Twitter. Um, I'm at Chris Frossin on Twitter. Um, you can get me on Facebook as well, Chris Frossin Photography, if you want to see some of my amazing photos. They are amazing as well. Yeah. They've been going very well recently. Yeah. I'm. Uh, you can find me on uh, at Calisthenics UK, at AF Mylak, which is M Y L A K, uh, CompleteCalisthenics.com, AF Mylak.com, Facebook Complete Calisthenics, AF Mylak. Uh, AF Mylak and Calisthenics. Four will be about it, I think. Complete Calisthenics and AF Mylak. Just Google it and then yeah. follow everything. All right, good. You had a good week. Good weekend. Yeah, last week was. Um, yeah, a lot better actually. I got a lot more, a lot more done. The week before, I hadn't got, I didn't get much done at all. Um, but this week, I managed to sort of knuckle down a bit more. Okay. Um, I don't know what's actually, I don't know what's been different about this week. Um, but I think I've done about twenty-five, thirty thousand words or something. Wow. So quite a bit. Because um, I've been, yeah, I've been looking through it as well, and it's, it's. I've been checking over the chapters last, uh, well, yesterday and today, as well as doing a bit more content. Um, and it seems to, it's not that bad. It seems like it's not, you know, completely horrendous. Yeah. You know, it's not going to like, I'm going to need like, oh, another five drafts of this. It's not too bad, you know, off, off first reading. So um, that's what I want to talk about as well. Actually, I put that down just before we, before we came. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I found out I can write a better quality faster at an earlier stage, if that makes sense. So it's, before it seems to come out, it seems to come out a lot better. Um, whereas before, I was writing things and having to go back and change quite a lot of it. Oh, okay, so, uh, or adjust so, some of the words, adjust the sentence structure, yeah. adjust where things are put in an extra word. Because you went through a phase of of trying to get it down on paper and then knowing that you could kind of go back and then edit it. Yeah. Um, so now the, the the first draft is now much better quality. Uh, yeah, much better. Yeah. That's cool. Um, and I don't know how I've. I don't know how I know that. I don't know if if I've, I don't know what measure I've got to tell by. It must just be experience. Yeah, and it it flows better, and it seems better, and it seems it 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 seems a lot more adult. And I I I read it, and it's and I think that seems like a book that could be published, or it's that seems like a sentence that would be fine. I'd I'd be happy to see in in a print book or you know an actual sort of you know final draft. Um, So yeah, but your week. Really cool, really cool. I had so this is the first, last week was half term week uh, in Derby where we are. So all the kids were off school. Um, there was a tennis tournament on at the old gym that I was working at, at David Lloyd, um, and I had I had three photo shoots last week. Um, a Jaguar so and a Range Rover. You shoot the tennis tournament. I didn't shoot the tennis tournament because I had these three photo shoots. Uh, okay. I was I was penciled in to do the tennis tournament, um, but. Um, I got some emails for these three shoots, which two of them were new magazines. And bye, Siobhan. Bye. bye. Say bye, everybody. Bye, Siobhan. Don't eat too much. Yeah. You've got to be able to fit in the car when Ash comes and picks you up. Yeah. You can't fit now. <laughs> so, yeah, I had, uh, I had a, a couple of emails from editors. One for, one for a Jaguar magazine. Um, uh, a really, really cool classic Alfa Romeo that I had to shoot, and then one for Vauxhall magazine. So the Vauxhall magazine is 
is a new magazine that I'm shooting for. That's now the third shoot. I've had one published. I've got one that's being published this month, and then a new one for next month. Um, and then the Jaguar one was a completely new magazine, and the editor was very, very complimentary about my photos, which was quite cool. It was really nice. So really, can, really nice. Can we know the proper contact or something with the people, I think, the, yeah, people I think that for. I think the Jaguar one will be quite because a he was really pleased with how how I was working um, and then I was once I got home the photos that I, the photos that kind of came from the shoot were just really really cool um, mm. a little bit the same as how you say that your first draft is is getting a lot better my photos out of the camera now are getting uh, so they need very little editing uh, I'm getting I'm getting quite comfortable on the uh, on the out of camera um, image that's coming out so that's really cool the, some of those are fantastic as well if you, want, if you want to go and have a look on my facebook page uh, chris frost and photography and um, there's they're, they're all up there or a lot of them up there the alpha one's stunning mm. love that alpha it was an alpha 105 that just had a hundred thousand pound restoration done at a company called race Terations in gainsbridge Gainsborough. Oh, race to Race to <laughs> uh, Really cool guy, actually. Really cool guy. Young guy. Uh, I was offered to send me some uh, mesh for the front of my Gallant because it was a very particular mesh. And I was like, I really like that mesh. Where did you get it from? It's like, it's a custom made one. Mm. Like, oh, okay. Can I have some, please? He said, yeah, yeah, sure. So that was quite cool. So this week, this week has been my first week outside a half term where I know all the other tennis coaches are coaching and I'm not um, and it's I'm sure you went through it as well when you no longer had the necessity or the, not, not the necessity you no longer had the tie down to have to go into David Lloyd to do your PTs and to do your shifts and everything yeah. so I've only I've only done it for what day are we on Tuesday I've only done it for two days so I've had two days of just seeming like I've got endless time. It's fantastic. It's brilliant. I did so much yesterday. I got so much done yesterday and I helped my dad rip down half a half a um a door frame and doors and everything for we're opening up or they're opening up um between the living room and the dining room. So we were ripping down a door frame and, and all the doors and everything inside there. Um I edited a complete photo shoot, uh did some more planning for some photos. Uh I'm trying to find some stuff on some uh, a print supplier and the medium because I want to do some proper big ass prints, just massive. I'm not talking like six foot, six foot, but good quality, not not like a PVC banner, mm. um, but some good good quality prints. So I'm trying to find down. That's quite tough to to find some good quality uh, high resolution prints which aren't like the cheap because you can get a really cheap PVC. Banner how would they do? Like would they do it quid. with a big printer or how would they actually do that? It's on. It's on a large printer. It's on a large printer that's got a roll of paper. So the paper right. is four foot wide, and it's on a roll, and then it just keeps printing out onto it. But uh, right. most of those ones are kind of inkjets. Um, they, they, they fire the ink on uh, through the through tiny jets, um, and they're the ones that. I mean, I went to the photography show last year, and I saw some proper big ass prints there that were done on. Uh, that was there was the there was an Epson. Uh, set of printers there that they were kind of talking to me about but that you're talking like fourteen thousand pounds for one of these big printers which prints on a roll um, mm. so it's, so it's a lot of money to, that, yeah, yeah that, well there's there's plenty of places that do it uh but it's just trying what to they find, charge you for a six foot print the ones that the, the company that i used to get my 
smaller prints done, and you've got a couple of them. Yeah. Because I've sent you a, a few of them. Are you doing a pistol squat on that um, GTR, mm. the Ultima? Um, they've got a subsidiary company which do larger prints, larger scale prints, and they can do a four, is it four foot or five foot? I think it's a five foot print. Uh, so two by three ratio, so same photographic, like six by four. So a five foot print, and it's £83 for a five foot print. But then obviously I'm going to have to make on that as well. That's not bad, though. I mean, cause it's you know, not bad for that size. You can frame that and and... Mm. Well, it's not not, so, not even to be not even going to be framed. That's I just want that hanging up on like a workshop wall, like a garage workshop. Like race durations would be perfect because it's a high high end restoration company who do. I mean, the the, the alpha was a hundred thousand pounds for the restoration. It was so ridiculous. I mean, where so they, where, they where would people see examples of their work just on their website or something? Well, that's the thing. The, for the big stuff, they haven't really got any because. Because yeah, if you can get prints of that car and go, look, I can sell this to you, you know, and you can stick this on your wall. Yeah. Anybody that comes to your door is going to go. That's. Oh, shit. I mean, it's that's no, I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll exactly. That's going to be a jaw-dropping image. Yeah. It's just going to like a six-foot. I mean, that you've seen the picture of the Alpha. It's a gorgeous car, and to get that on a six-foot. I, I want to say banner, but I don't want to say banner because as soon as you say banner, you think of the PVC with no the, with the ringlets that you you see pinned up everywhere. Um, but I want a really high resolution one. Um, but then being able to get that, there's another company called oh god, what's the company called? So, oh, I can't think what they're called now. But they do, they do really really high end stuff, and they 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 put a backing on on the print, so you can have aluminium backing on your print um, for archiving purposes, and that's two hundred and sixty pounds mm. for a five foot print. Um, and I'm tempted. They they do quite small sizes as well. So I'm tempted to get um, a 20 inch, just a little 20 inch one with a aluminium backing, just to see the quality. Because I really want to see the quality. I don't want to give. I don't want to be throwing out crappy banners. I want them to be a quality print. Mm. Um, yeah, if they can just be, just to be. You different. know they're going to be consistent. You can go yeah. like. Yeah. You was just... I having the conversation with you about uh, the photographer who sold the photo for? X million pounds or X million dollars. I think it was. I can't remember I the so. figures now. Yeah. Um, I think you were talking about. Uh, is it Lars? Lars. I want to say Lars. Nick or Jick. Lick. Lick. I don't know what his first name is then because it's not Lars Lick. And he he sold some prints. Oh, it was it was Kyle, uh, the guy at the coffee shop. Mm. He sold a print for, famously sold a print for something like three point seven million pounds. Wow. And there's a couple of photographers down in Australia who sell them for um, similar similar prices. But uh, there were there was a show uh, that Scott Kelby does with uh, RC on uh, Kelby One. You can find it on YouTube. And they were saying that the difference between I mean, this guy Lick has had loads of stick from other photographers saying that his work isn't worth. 3.7 million pounds or well, it must be because somebody paid it's like, well, exactly for it. It, it has to be worth that much because somebody's paid it but they were saying that um, it, the quality that you get when you buy one of his prints is through the roof like it's printed on it's not printed on just like just a piece of A4 printer paper kind of thing it's proper um, it's almost like a canvas really thick 
medium that you're, that you're printing on, mounted beautifully. Like it's got like a double mount in the frame, and the the frame's immaculate. It's just it's a really really nice piece of art that he's selling, mm. um, rather than just any old thing that you see in IKEA or something. What's, so. the, what's it a photo of? <laughs> it's a photo of um, the Holland Broads. It's a photo of it's a photo of a canal in Holland. That's all it is. So I mean, you, sorry, excuse me. If you look at it, you've got um, four or five different levels, uh, and there's a layer of grass, and then a path, and then another layer of grass, and then the canal, and then the sky. That's it. I mean, it's it's a very very simple photo, mm. but but taken about been, as well as a simple photo can be taken. Yeah, just it's been taken it's beautifully. It's really, it's really well taken. But then I think it's the the presentation that he puts into it as well. I remember, well, it's, well, it's not changing the subject, but it's about sort of making, doing a simple thing as 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 well as it possibly can yes. be done. I remember reading an interview with uh, Dave Grohl. No, no, it wasn't Dave Grohl, sorry, it was... No, maybe it was. And I think they were talking about uh, good guitarists, what's a good guitarist, what's a bad guitarist. You know, if a guitarist isn't technically proficient, is he a good guitarist and blah, blah, blah. And it's always a, it's always a big debate, you know, if you can't play fast and accurately, then are you yeah. a good guitarist? And, well, you know, so Hendrix can play that maybe fast or accurately, but he wrote some of these songs and uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, and he was saying, well, for him, there's a, there's a difference. He says he does respect people that can play sort of fast and accurately, but he says he saw Green Day playing um, and he says... You know, uh, I think was it Billy Joe the guitarist? He said he he wasn't looking at his guitar. You know, singing at the same time. They write good songs, and he can play an A chord or a bar chord or whatever or a power chord as well as it can possibly be played. Yeah, yeah. So he says, you know, it's it's not like he does that the odd time. He says he plays these chords and these progressions and stuff as well Bang as they can be played every time. And that's all. That's all. That's all they they yeah. need to be able to do. That's all their song. So he says there's needs. a lot to there's a lot to say for that. Um, and I think yeah. I mean, Bill Bailey does. Bill Bailey does like a um, a comedy sketch where well, it's not really a comedy, but it, he just kind of does a little bit of a piss take on this is this is how you play all these different. So he gets his. I mean, you'll know more about it than I do. He gets he gets his guitar set up, and uh, he will just tweak the amp, and he'll go right. This is how Metallica play, and then this is this is U two, and you just put loads of reverb on it and and oh, play and delay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you got. Do echo. you see the bit where he does? It's like this is this is the edge with, with you know, when it's when it's all his gear works properly and he does it and it sounds really cool and everything. <laughs> and then he goes, this is the edge after a catastrophic gear malfunction. <laughs> so the, the delay pedal stops working and the reverb stops working. It's just him and the amp. And so it's like, dun, 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 dun. <laughs> so, it's, it's obviously not what he's playing, but yeah. I, I get what he's saying. You know, yeah, a lot yeah. of guitarists do kind like of hide behind got a lot of uh, effects. got a very, yeah, a very um, distinct sound and it's it's got from... And I can't say I've ever used uh, you know, people used to come up to me when I was playing in bands and stuff and um we always used to have quite oh a Oh my clear, god, Ashley, you're amazing, go to sound. bed with me. No, 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 no. no? no. Oh. They were mostly mostly <laughs> blokes that came to our gigs because it was, people went, it was Oh Ashley, you're amazing, go to bed with me. <laughs> yeah. Just in a deeper voice. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I we used to just plug straight into amps. Yep. The one pedal I used to use was a noise gate because we used to play quite loud and stuff and uh, a noise gate gate, you can set it at a a specific threshold so if you're not playing a guitar and you don't have any and you've got the volume turned up you don't have your hands on anything normally the guitar will just keep feedback because the the, uh, any small vibration of the string will produce a sound in the amp then the the sound waves from the amp will make the strings vibrate more and you get that loop and that's what a feedback loop is right gotcha Um, 
So it would just stop that. It would just cut the signal until you actually physically push the string, and you could you could set it. You could set the gate so that it would go less or more. So yeah. we, you know, if there are any sort of chord stabs on things where there were like a bit of silence, then a, then a note, bit of silence, note, note, bit of silence. You can put it quite you know, high. You could put it quite high, and you could get that tight sound. Um, so that's the only pedal we used to use. Um, but I used to love going straight into the amp. I I, ne- I thought, why would I? Spend money on a nice amp, or even a moderately priced amp, or even a cheap amp, and then get put something, put something in, in front of it, like a like so a, that's one of the things bit, to like say a about, um, digital signal chain or something. Yeah, it's one of the things to say about camera lenses as well. You just spend two thousand pounds on a or two thousand dollars on a camera lens, and you're putting a a fifty dollar fifty pound um, filter on the front of it to protect it. Um, and I mean, there's you can take you can take photos and and, and with and without and see if it affects the. It doesn't particularly affect it, but the, the principle behind it is the same. It's still, yeah. you've bought this massive, expensive, brilliant lens, which has got the epitome of Nikon or Canon, if you shoot Canon, or Sony, because they're doing really well at the moment. Mm. Um, you've got their awesome like um, lens structure and manufacturing on it, and then you're putting a, just a piece of glass in front of it to protect it. It's like, well, yeah. What are you do that for? A different subject. Yes, I mean, I've, I've got a, I've got a, uh, a Mesa um, Mark IV, Combo, uh, which I don't think I'm, I don't make them anymore. Um, so that's supposed to be the bee's knees, isn't it? Oh, I, l- I love it. Yeah, I'll never get rid of that. Never. I think the Mark V is meant. To, well, the Mark II C Plus is meant to be um, for rhythm and high gain sounds. Is meant to be um, like the one. So famously, Metallica recorded Master of Puppets and a few a few other albums with that. Um, and I know John Petrucci out of Dream Theater yep. uses them. Uh, like Kirk Hammett, they they any that come up for sale, they just buy them because they don't make them anymore. Um, what's Petrucci's um, solo? How many solo albums has he done? And what's the, what's the names of them? Because there's oh, one solo know. album that he's done that I love, and I can never remember the name. I of don't it. know. To be honest, I've got a few Dream Theater albums, but because um, he played in the G3 concert with um, Satriani, yeah, and his opening song was awesome, and I can never remember the name of the. I album think I think he writes. He's a really good, really underrated riff mm. writer, songwriter. He's a very good lead player and stuff, and he plays amazing solos. And but I don't think necessarily that's his greatest talent. I mean, I think I, mean, I was watching um, live at Budo Khan, yeah, um, concert. It's just they don't necessarily rock out as much as say you know Metallica do or Megadeth do or, or Exodus do. You know, they headbang much or they don't really. They do put on a put on a show, but I think it's a lot more, it's a bit more controlled, just because they're maybe musicians first and yes. in a band second yeah. and things. Um, but it's just, yeah, it sounds better than on the CD. Some some of those songs, you know, uh, and they, you can't really see them make mistakes. And it, it's <laughs> yeah, and because they play all their best songs, you think, bloody hell, they're, they're some decent songwriters, actually, really decent songwriters. Yeah. Um, and I see I've watched documentaries on them and he seems to be able to write at a ra- rapid pace like you know they seem to be able to get into a studio together with, with no ideas and just because they're all so well versed and they're they're so they've studied so many different types of, types of and styles of music they seem to just be able to write stuff and co- oh yeah it took us a month to write this record do they bounce off each other or do they yeah yeah and they'll, they'll just go alright well yeah we'll do this um, they're so advanced that they can actually jam and come come up with stuff they, you know, they, they can just jam and they all know what key they're playing in and stuff and you know, the drummer might say, right, we're going to go to, I don't know, three, four time now or whatever wow. and they seem to do it and I, I mean, I think that just takes years and years of practice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, well, that, That's that brought me to... That's the thing about just being, I being, the, say, being uh, the best. The speed uh, of work. Yeah, speed of work. 
Um, that's what brought me on to it, actually. It just, just reminded me. Um, I don't know, so the last couple of weeks, I've felt that my work rate has got a lot quicker. I'm not necessarily trying any harder, right? Getting any more, any more tired. I'm, uh, you know, I'm not forcing myself to think, oh, I need to get to, you know, X number of thousand words today. I need to get this done. They're still on my list, but if I don't get them done, it's not the end of the world. Yeah. Because I'm just like, right, well, I've, you know, I'm up to say fifty thousand words today, and I need to get, you know, the novels maybe another twenty or twenty-five, thirty at the most. So it's not going to be too much longer until I until I'm there, and then I can start editing down. And I find it's 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 coming a lot quicker now. Uh, I don't know why. I don't know if it's because. Um, so you tr- I've been you practicing just, better. I was going to say, are you just trying to justify why you're now writing quickly. I'm trying to work out why why it is, and I don't know is. If it's because are you scared to are you scared to kind of say that it's just experience and you're getting better and better at writing? Oh no, it's or is it or is it something part that, of that you're you're trying to find that it's something that you've done with this book? Well, it's definitely part of that. I think I spent a lot longer on the planning, and the I've made sure that every character has a specific goal or opposition, or they have something about them. I, I you know, it's only a single novel, you know, four hundred pages, three hundred fifty pages, so it's not. You know, there's not going to be thousands of characters or even tens of characters necessarily, tens of main characters. Um, so I think I've spent a bit of time doing the planning and it's been gestating in my mind for a, for a few weeks anyway about exactly how I want to turn it out. And then uh, I think something you said to me as well made, made sense and made me think, right, well, I don't necessarily need to worry about a specific word count. And I think you said last week or a couple of weeks ago, that, uh, oh, um, well, as long as you've got up to there, then it will flow. Does it flow from Does it flow from that point onwards? Yeah, and it's just like, well, yeah, I suppose the the, the plot as I got it at the moment does. And I think he says, well, oh, well, if it flows, it'll be okay then. Almost as if, well, so I think sometimes don't try and don't yeah. don't try and make it too complicated. If it's if the story's good, it doesn't need to be any longer than that. You know, if it's twenty seven chapters and you wanted to write thirty five, don't write thirty five chapters just because you had initial plans to write thirty five. Yeah, yeah, you don't um, want to be trying to meet. No. Um, popular demand or whatever. It's like if yeah. you look at if you if you look at all the books on the market and find out that the average number of chapters is thirty two, and you try and write all your books at thirty two chapters, you 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 probably overdoing it a little bit. Yeah, and it's yeah. Uh, it's interesting. I was reading a uh, an article on Game of Thrones. Uh, well, it wasn't specifically on Game of Thrones, but that's the main example that they that they chose. And it was whether um, epics or series that just go on. Past the initial, past the traditional trilogy, or yeah. maybe you know, um, uh, quintuplet, you know, five books or whatever. Um, are they too much? Yeah, are they too much? Are they trying to? Famously, there's a guy that I can't remember his name now. Because Game of Thrones, you get, the, of time. you get the idea that it's Game of Thrones of isn't actually going anywhere. It's just telling a story of a time period. Well, I mean, I haven't read books four and five yet, um, but a lot of people. Were saying that they're, they're almost filler. Nothing really happens. It's you get the sense that they're just sort of like a disjointed mess. Yeah. Um, and you know you'd wait for book six and seven to come out and finish you know, finish the finish the set. Um, and there's there's a lot of a lot of people thinking that you know they will finish the TV series before they finish the the books. Oh really? And they're having to David Benioff and I think I can't remember the other guy's name, the producers or the the. the uh, Creators of the show, uh, they they're basically saying, yeah, well, we'll we'll have we have a, a we'll have to work out a specific ending in mind because we've only got 
you know we're planning two more seasons or three yeah. more seasons or whatever else it is and it got me thinking about uh, Sol which would be the the big sci-fi epic and I, I didn't want to write an epic just uh, for the sake of writing an epic yep I didn't want it to be a thousand pages just because I had the initial goal of writing a thousand page book yeah, yeah. I want the story to you know I feel like it could be a thousand pages because it takes place in the solar system and there's you know there's no point in me doing that if I'm not going to include some perspective from um, Mercury, Venus, Earth, Luna, Mars, you know, and the rest of it, and at least some, uh, you know, and, and because it's solar system wide, I'll be able to uh, develop and create a few characters that have wildly different outlooks on on the world and how how you know justice should be served, whether they're on the right side or the wrong side or the opposing side or whatever. Um, but I don't want to I don't want to just keep writing and writing and writing and think oh. Because otherwise I could go, right, well, there's a million of this, there's a million scenes that I could possibly do, and I could go into so much detail on a particular scene, and, but would it advance the story any? And it might not. I don't so, know whether, whether epics in that sense... Do, okay, so do, do, epics have, do epics have a story, or are they telling, or are they just kind of narrating a period of time? So like Horus yeah. Heresy. That's interesting. The Horus Heresy, because you've just got the Horus Heresy, is that, that's just, it's almost just like a, I don't, it takes place like in EastEnders. Very... Yeah, yeah. It's like every book is an episode of EastEnders, and it's just telling, a, telling, telling what's, narrating a period of time, which I suppose what the story well, is, I mean, but it doesn't really have an end. Time ending. shifts backwards and forwards. In Horus Heresy. In Horus Heresy it does, yeah. And, it, it, and then you have some things that are completely, you have uh, stories, like the, the one I'm just coming to the end of now is number four so the flight of the Eisenstein and it's about the escape of a ship yeah. um, uh, and a character called uh, Nathaniel Garrow who's a space marine and he's um, he heard of the treachery that Horus is going to uh, you know try and overthrow the, the emperor or, yeah. or the, you know, he's trying to draw the other primarchs to, you know, to him his brothers to him um, and then try and take out elements in the legions that he thinks won't support his plan and he ma- Gary manages to escape on this this Eisenstein and there's only a, I think about 70 space marines on the yeah. on the ship spoilers and... if you haven't read the book <laughs> yeah um, but it's it, that story just take, that's a very small yeah um, no not it's not very small it's very it takes it takes place within a a very small compass of of uh an area it's just yeah. a ship yeah. yeah they go other places but most of it takes place on the ship most of it is about the battle that he faces whether he's doing the right thing and then when he tells Rogal Dawn which is what the primarch of uh, I think the Imperial Fists he's he sort of gets slapped and he's uh, you know across the room and stuff and it's like you know it's treachery even telling me that, telling me this news and he's like well you know I, I, I've, I've battled across the, you know, the half halfway across the galaxy to tell you this, and you know, I've I been... suppose as soon as you get something as large as a galaxy, or a ga- I mean, even 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 if you look at Destiny, Destiny has always been since it's come out, it's been ribbed for not having any story in it, or the story being particularly bad. There's plenty of story in it, but it's not been presented very well. Yeah, and it's not in the game. It's, it's like on, the, on the website. There's, so. there's plenty of uh, grimoire cards that talk about the Battle of the Twilight Gap, and then. Uh, and that all the human race lost that battle, and then Yalahorn was forged, and there's there's plenty of content there, but it's encompassed within the Destiny universe. So I suppose you could write if you if you 
link that in with the Horus Heresy, you could end up writing books about Destiny, like almost fan art books, I suppose, well, it could, it could just, take... on, just on individual little yeah, I mean, chapters could... of the enormous story. You could say, you could say and it's you just know, you could write a book the about a, a single trip or a single yeah. sort of uh, uh, sortie. That, uh, so that your soul, your soul you've got this, you've got your, you know I mean? your world within the soul universe, if you like, is is whatever you want it to be, and then you can just pick a book about an event which is going to happen at, in your timeline. Yeah. I mean, the, the main one I've got it, it is that... Well, I wanted the premise to be very simple. I didn't want it to be ridiculously overcomplicated. So, I mean, I, Game, George Martin does that well, because Game of Thrones is... It's just about, about the, power. the battle. Of, yeah, it's about Star of the power. Wars. It's just the battle of power. Yeah, and I wanted, I wanted, I wanted it to be almost simpler than, almost uh, a bit more childlike. Um, uh, not that it's a no, not it's not childlike, but maybe a bit more simple-minded. And the idea is that this this Septimus character is born on Titan, and he's very used to seeing. The, the the sun from a specific vantage point and yeah. sp- it looks a specific way in the sky only um uh you know specific color specific size and he always he's he's wondered all of his life what it looks like up closer yeah and he, the, he there's a nagging feeling in him that it doesn't look right it doesn't feel right to be that big in the sky yes. and he's he knows that he's the only one out of anybody that he knows that gets up early and watches the sunrise out out of binoculars or like a, a, yes, a ocular yeah. device, you know, a viewing device, to to try and magnify it. You know, no one else does that, and they can't understand why he does it. And he's he's had this feeling. This the the overarching story is about him trying to get closer to see that, and eventually he wants to get onto onto Earth and see it for himself. And he thinks once he gets there, that that will kind of sate that sate that, that appetite. Yeah. Um, but obviously the problem is that. No one can go on terror. The, the emperor lives there. He, he's or the king or, or the tyrant, whatever we're going to call him, whatever and end up calling him. Um, and it's become a you know become a no go zone. Only the powerful and wealthy live there. It's impossible for anybody else to get on there. The the moon is a roving security base with the, with the entire you know uh, uh, Terran defense force on there. So there's no even way. Even you just explaining it now, it's just like I want to read this book. There's no way anyone can get on there. Write the damn book. I want to read. Um, <laughs> I want to read the book. But yeah, then I've. But that's the overarching yeah. theme, and because I think for, I wanted to try and imagine what somebody would be feeling if if they were stuck on another planet, you know, and and couldn't say, you know, because I I start to think about say if you you know, you've got a person in the, in the third world and they know about. Um, the way we live, or the way the mo- you know, modern society is, or, or Western civilization is, and they think, oh, I really want, I really want to, to, to get there. I, I really want to, and it's it's possible for a lot of people. You know, you hear so many people em- emigrate to um, America, or the, the States, or Canada, or the UK, or Europe. Because they don't feel you know, at home. Um, no, no, not because, of, but, but because they want to, because they yeah. want a better life for themselves. Yeah. Um, and I thought, well, I'll strip that down. I want him just to be, just to him to feel human almost um but he can't just go there even if he could travel all that distance first he's got the massive distance he's got to overcome yeah um then he's got the fact that he can't even get on the planet that he wants to get on security wise yeah and he's got another thing that he hasn't even seen it he's only ever seen it in pictures or pictographs or, or photos and stuff and even even then it's from a very like yeah, yeah, yeah. very far away because it's kind of like because the distances are so vast, everything's so far removed, and 
every every subsequent generation things just get even further, more further away. Um, and I wanted it to be yeah that's the main battle and he's the character that I want the audience to identify with um, so I started thinking about that as well that I need a ca- I need characters that and I've been studying Game of Thrones especially the TV series because you've got characters that just interact and they say funny things and you identify with some of them and you hate you want Joffrey just to get his head caved in every episode yeah. you know and, and, then, and then, then when he did it was like oh my god yeah exactly yeah um, but you kind of wish that it was a, a, another way because yeah. he's dead but he's only poisoned it's like fucking hell yeah you know, yeah, yeah he suffered but you wanted to see him get smashed in and by the, the viper, hound or viper versus a mountain and yeah. I was like oh I can't believe the viper um, lost that and, but yeah, then, I, then I thought then I was thinking about all the swearing and the sex scenes in there and the uh uh how debauched some of the characters are and, and they'll do anything for power sometimes. And I wanted to try and bring some of that into, yeah. in, into Sol if I can. Um, yeah, obviously there won't, there'll be some characters that don't swear at all because that's just not the way they are. Um, just like in Game of Thrones. But it's but one I, of the ways that you can differentiate. Like, I've never, like Bronn in Game of Thrones is, is yeah, very different. And from I've never too. seen, uh, sci-fi for me tends to be quite, well, the stuff that I've read anyway, quite tends to be quite clinical. And even if it has, say, ultraviolence in it, like um, uh, like the Horus Heresy series, yeah. in the battles, it's a proper ultraviolence, and the description of battles and the aftermath and blood and gore and stuff is really very, very good. It's not it's not childish at all. It's very, very well done, and it, it paints a picture that you cut. That it's not there for the sake of it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like there to show that. how horrendous it is and things. Yeah. Um, but they don't really swear or they don't use bad language, and uh, you know, there's no real romance stories in there or love stories or or tragedy in there and you know I, I wanted it to sort of have everything I didn't want it to be just because it's a <coughs> excuse me just because it's a sci-fi story for there to be oh well that automatically means you can't write fuck in there or you can't have characters saying the c word yeah yeah you know I don't want that to be like, the case like um, we were talking about Christopher Nolan didn't want that that uh, score just because it was a sci-fi film yeah um, yeah and I mean I've been watching Last last week because I've had um, I've, I've had a bit more time and I've not had I've not been having to go into David Lloyd. Um, I've had some more time to to relax and chill out a little bit. So I've I've had lots of making ofs mm. up on uh, YouTube um, and oh, I love um, just, just I love stuff like that. And then the people's opinions on on why horror films aren't any good anymore and what and why action films aren't as good as they used to be and. Like the 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 the, what, the action film or the latest action film that I saw was Lucy, which which I thought was terrible, um, and then after watching the what is the problem with action films at the moment, I was like, oh yeah, absolutely, of course, because to so get to did, have a I good watch it, film, I, I'll have to watch it. But what what did they what to, was to, to have a good action film? You need to be able to relate to the main character. You need to be able to understand that he's. Uh, got a conflict like we like we were talking about with that screenwriter's bible yeah. he's got to have a conflict but the ultimate thing is that he's got to be vulnerable like john if you look at the, the they used a really good example of um die hard the first die hard basically it was a cop who was in new york because he was having a bad marriage and he wanted to make it up to his wife he was just in the wrong place at the wrong time and he was trying to trying to kind of get his way out of it sort of thing. If you yeah. fast forward to Die Hard 5 or 4, 5, 5, the last one, you've got John McClane there who's running over civilians in the middle of the street. He's never really vulnerable because he's running the whole thing and it yeah. doesn't work as well because... Yeah, no, yeah I mean, Die Hard is still one of my, my favourite films. Film. I mean, it's, 
I mean, yeah, I was yeah. watching the and making of Predator he, as well. The making of Predator was fantastic. Oh, they yeah. say that was one of the things that was was high up on the best action films because because of the a a of the way it was shot. B you had Arnie, and then you had the the guy who was a guy who was um, it was Apollo Creed's character, wasn't it? In um, yeah, uh, Rocky. Oh, God, I can't remember. Who, but they said they said they wanted a guy who was as big as Arnie, but then obviously. He, he got blown up or whatever um, in the middle of the film. But he said it was that was such a good film because you were never really sure whether Arnie what what was going to happen. Everybody was dying all the way around him, and yeah. then ultimately at the end it was just him and the predator. And even left. though they're these huge guys, I mean, there's a there's a uh, a, a scene at the beginning where he's um, where I think. Um, Oh, what's his? What's the? What's the black guy's character called? Apollo Creed. What's his character called? I can't think of his name. Dylan. That's it. Yeah. Dylan. Yeah. Dylan says something like, "Oh, um, uh, why did you pass on uh, Libby or something?" Yeah. It's just like, "Oh, it wasn't my style." It's like, "Ah, oh, you got no style, Dirks. Come on, why? Why did you pass? Trying to get the truth out of him." And he says something like, "Oh, you know, we're a rescue team, not assassins." And he says it in a way, and it it sets you up. Here's this hulking guy. Yeah. Whatever. He's just he's just met him, hasn't he? He's done that yeah, like just sort of, done uh, that high five, uh, yeah, high five thing where they, yeah. where they just it's basically just a scene to show yeah. how big his biceps are. But he says, "Well, you know, we're a rescue team. We're not assassins." You know, which was a funny story as well. Who's the guy with the big minigun? Uh, Jesse Ventura. Jesse Ventura. He said um, uh, he was the only one in the film who was marine um, trained, so he yeah, yeah. he knew what what they were going to be going through and everything. And he said, "I was I've the I'm the only person ever to fire a minigun handheld." Like that, and yeah. he, was, he was going, and then uh, he said what, really he was going to. He what? went into um, uh, clothing uh, and the wardrobe, and uh, <laughs> they were saying that um, oh, Arnie's Arnie's bicep is X number of inches, and he was like, "Hang on, I think mine's mine's an inch bigger than that." So I've got bigger biceps than Arnie. So he went in, uh, and during the filming, he was uh, he he said, uh, "Arnie, yeah, Arnie, we should we should measure our biceps." I'll bet you, I can't remember what he bet. So I bet I bet you something with it. I've got bigger biceps than you because apparently wardrobe has said, oh look, because when they were fitting him out, they said, oh you got, oh he's got the uh, eighteen inch biceps or something. You got nineteen inch biceps. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> you, Arnie, Arnie said, yeah, okay, come on then, let's go and let's go and measure and uh, sort it out, kind of thing. Arnie's were like three inches bigger. Apparently Arnie had told wardrobe yeah, to yeah, tell yeah, him yeah, to say yeah, that yeah. he had small biceps. He said just just little things like that. But um, it was just really cool to kind of listen to. How how that making of was kind of going through? Did you see the initial initial version of the Predator, initial design of the Predator? Yes, like a like a lobster yeah. just jumping yeah. around. I mean, how they how they went from that to the one they ended up with because that it, it's I mean well, it's, that's it's a, iconic. That's a seven I mean. foot skinny dude in that. Yeah, yeah. It's a really it's a, it's a seven, seven foot skinny dude yeah. because he was one of the producers was out uh, out uh, having uh, coffee. Pizza Hall, something like that. Something he was Peter out Hall having coffee was, yeah. and this guy was sat at the bar. And he went. He went up to him and literally did the like the cheesy Hollywood. Do you want to be in a film? And and went out there and spent spent the next X number of weeks being the predator. But just the way he moves around and stuff. I just or thought. And the mask is really iconic. You know, just totally black eyes. You know. Yeah. Um. Or well, not not black eyes, but just you know, black holes where his eyes would be. You know. Um. Yeah, definitely one of my favorite films ever. I mean, obviously it's, it's tongue in cheek and cheesy, but yeah. it's. I'm getting that the wrong way around as well. He wasn't found in a bar. The guy who was the alien in Alien was found in a bar. Right, okay. 
because he was seven foot something other and really skinny and his hands went past his when he was walking normally his hands were past his knees he just looked ab, ab, ab human kind of thing he didn't look human right yeah which like is why he worked so well stuff. yeah it was why he worked so well with the alien so what yeah. was it did you say it was Peter Hall for Predator yeah, Ke- Kevin Peter Kevin Hall. Kevin Peter Hall. Kevin Peter Hall, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's he's seven foot into because he was dwarfing over Arnie. But yeah, so, so I think so it, was, it was just, it was really interesting to kind of see people's opinion. And I was kind of hit, hit home with a lot of it because Lucy, I don't know whether you've seen Lucy, it's Pants. Yeah, it was the uh, Scarlett Johansson. Um, yeah, she was awesome. She kind of like, it's she... a very watchable film because it's beautifully shot and Scarlett Johansson's in it. So it's easy to watch, but the premise, the premise that as she gets more access to her mind and brain, she just becomes invulnerable. So yeah. you can't beat her. So all the all the conflicts and fights, it's like, well, I haven't actually got any connection with this well, fight. That's, that's she, something I was going to say about Die Hard as well. It, you know, he starts out just in a vest and he takes yeah. his shoes off. Yeah. And then which is a genius yeah. thing. Because they could have... Like I was reading about um, uh, Shane Black, who was one of the... Well, he was, the, he was Hawkins in Predator, the guy yeah. with glasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, that gets killed first, and um, he's he's got like these loads of screenwriting rules, and he says setups and payoffs can be. He says you know, you can set something up. So perhaps this is where it worked. I mean, if I'd written Die Hard and I hadn't thought of taking his shoes off and stuff, then you would have still run around in trainers. Well, no, I might might have done shoot the glass or whatever, but then you could just go, all right, well, he ha- it, we could shoot the glass and have him not have his have his taking shoes off earlier. So then you could put that in the beginning. Yeah. So that's how it's done. Yeah. So he says, you know, these, these when they did, when um, written Christopher Nolan did the Batman, the second Batman film, and he said he wanted to redesign the, the, the mask, and the hood and the cowl, because he said he didn't like it going across onto his neck. And he was like, well, actually, let's just tell it exactly why we want to recreate it so we can move his head, which is why the, the line that was put in, uh, I, want to, I want to be able to, oh, you want to be able to turn your head, yeah, it would make, yeah. make reversing down the drive easier. Yeah, it yeah. Was, it's just yeah. a real life thing. Well, we we need it to be more articulate. So they get a decent line, yeah. A decent so line just of dialogue. Throw out it of it. in. But mm. um, no, no, yeah, so, so yeah, I, th- I think I, I'll. Yeah, I mean, once I've finished Agents of Landing, which will be I don't know next month or so, next couple of months, and then I'll start editing and and I need to obviously get the artwork done. I'll take a couple of weeks or so, get the audiobook. Well, put the book up for sale and things, and release it and and start doing promotion for it, and then um, try and get another. Uh, narrator for the audiobook. Yeah, be good to have somebody different. Because you, you sent know. me, you sent me chapter four, which we're going to put yep. on at the end of this podcast. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, which is uh, yes, Steve Barnes, Canadian, really good. Good, it's really cool. We're so, to it. I, I think it takes a little while. I mean, it was done ages ago, but um, they checked it through and said yeah. uh, it's okay, apart from the intro and oh, sorry, the preface and chapter one are linked together yeah, in the audio split. files. They need to be split. So. Steve did that for me and then um, sends it off to him again. They've just got back to me after like seven or ten days or so and said, yeah, it's okay, it'll be up soon. Uh, so I think it just takes a little So while, is that because they have to, do they listen to the whole thing then? I don't... Or do they just look I at don't the... Know. I'm they guessing might they might just look at, the, look at the files and just see if the audio hits certain... Maybe they do, maybe they do listen tags. to all of it. Because, you know, what's to stop somebody from just having, you know, ten chapters of just a normal story and then... The next oh, chapter is just like, I don't know, Plagiarism. them and their neighbour having sex or something. It could be anything yeah. or just, just you know, 20 minutes of just, fuck, you yeah. don't know. Yeah, you know so maybe they have to check it all. Quality control, almost. Yeah. Um, because it could, I thought you know, they were checking the, like, the audio, audio quality and everything. Oh, yeah, they do that check that. They do check, I think it has to be like mon- mono or something. and um, Yeah, loads of things like that. Uh, they have a 
there's like quite specific standards. But it goes yeah. straight up on iTunes and Audible and Amazon and stuff. So I guess they need to. It's not like it's just going off up on some tin pot website. Yeah. yeah. It's going up on the proper. So you can get ones. them from iTunes. Yeah, yeah. Audiobooks from iTunes. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And so if anyone's if anyone's listening, you've written a manuscript or you're writing a manuscript or you want to write an audiobook or produce an audiobook, you can. Yeah, ACX. And if you get yeah, ACX.com. And if you get uh, if you either read it yourself and you know you get it performing or you you get somebody else to do it, you can do a profit share. So you can literally produce an audiobook for nothing, more or less. Yeah. And put it up for nothing. I mean, well, you've got to get the artwork, but it, you know, it depends. Just do like a square CD cover type artwork for it. See, I like I like the one you said when you were talking about um, who 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 says that a book has to be this big. Yeah. Because you wanted to do an A4 one with some artwork. That's in there right. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that'd be amazing because I I put you in um, sort of with my friend of mine, uh, Carl Kopinski, who used to uh, he's an artist who I used to work with at Games Workshop. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, I went on his website. Really, really unbelievable. Cool. Unbelievable stuff. Especially, I mean, because I had a very I specific the loose, idea. The loose um, style. Uh, for Sol, I wanted. Uh, I thought about writing it from the perspectives of different characters. Yes. So one of them would be, you know, the emissary to. Um, Which I think is a great to, idea. You know, to the emperor, one of them would be the, you know, the leader of the uh, of the uh, Martian Congress. One of them would be obviously Septimus and yep. all this sort of stuff. Um, and I thought it'd be cool to have a picture of them at the start of the chapters that concern them. Yeah. But just like a pen and ink. Or like a just a, no color, just yeah. pen and ink, or just an um, yeah, an outline or a shade, just so the reader gets an idea. And I think it would give it, it would just give it something else. It just gives it a bit of gravitas, yeah. Because sometimes you, sometimes you know, I, I, say if you buy an ebook, um, it's just digital fire. I mean, you can put you can put pictures in there if you want to. You know, I know a lot of people read their stuff on their digital devices, uh, you know, their phones and stuff, and don't necessarily read it on a computer. But I like the idea of having like a maybe a bit an A4 size book or a bit smaller or something uh, you know if it was say 800 900 1000 pages you can get away with doing that yeah yeah and it can be like say a bit more of a coffee table book with you know pictures in and it's a bit more of an experience reading yeah. it because i think that's that's I think it'd be awesome because if you because Carl did Carl used to do lots of um setting the scenes um and concept art uh, so he 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 just kind of draw Draw ideas um, for for army books and for for races and everything, and you just like throw out ideas. So it'd be, I mean, you can almost imagine if you kind of if he did kind of come on board and work with you, you could have all his all his sketches and all his concept almost just within the book, like you yeah. say, like a coffee coffee table book. So you're having yeah, a absolutely. chapter and a chapter and a chapter, and then there's just concept art in the middle. And I think yeah, it'd be a great medium to. Medium to, to kind of throw so out. I think then it will take really it a cool. bit more beyond the realm of just be different, not novel. better. Yeah, yeah, it'll be different, not better. Yeah, I think it might be I different and better. Anyway. I, oh, yeah, I, yeah. I bought um, uh, after getting all the horse heresy series, I saw a horse, uh, visions of heresy. That's what it's called, yeah. visions of heresy. It's an A4 um, hardback uh, art artwork book. You know, uh, uh, artwork themes and and um, the different primarchs and the different factions, different events from mm. the books. Um, and it's awesome you know it's got a lot of text in there as well but a lot of artwork and things I just thought yeah maybe 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 I just do need to do something like that you know um, not too much you know I don't want to make it a picture book but just maybe even just at the start of every chapter you know yeah. the chapter would be yeah. called wouldn't be called it would be called Septimus or something we yeah. could follow him uh, it would be from his viewpoint that specific chapter and it would have a picture of him so next page the text yeah. all the way through until you know the next next chapter is I don't know 
um, whoever's going to be next, you know. And then the next, um, the next time Septimus comes up as a chapter, it'd be a different pencil sketch. Yeah, yeah, but maybe even maybe even reflecting the theme yeah, of yeah, the yeah. chapter. Yeah. I mean, that would be taken to the next cool. level. I need really to have it written first before that could be that done. Would, that would just be so good. Um, it would be so good. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Um, so after yeah, I have to keep trying to get in touch with him and and yeah, ask him how much he. I'll drop it. I'll drop him a message. Charges because I mean I, I've got no idea what people would what an illustrator would charge for that. No, sort I don't of, know either. Sort of stuff. I mean I can't imagine it's going to be. I know he um, does a lot of work. Uh, cheap, he's very but, busy doing lots of lots of fantasy stuff, but I mean some of his pencils. I love his pencil sketches. Yeah, um, some of them are amazing. And exactly really what I was kind of looking for, like a yeah. mythic. Realistic. So I always used to like when I was doing the graphic design at Games Workshop. I used to, I always used to like because he's got a brother as well, Stefan, who's the same kind of artist. But uh, wow. he did a lot in Photoshop. Did a lot of Photoshop work. I mean, Carl does Photoshop as well. He does bloody anything. Um, <laughs> he paints in Photoshop. So he, wow. he'll, he'll generate a, a like a watercolor painting in Photoshop. It's incredible. It's so cool. Anyway, um, I used to love working with their artwork. Yeah. I bet he has. Mm, probably, I don't know. Yeah, but I used to love working with their artwork because it was so, so fluid and so free. It, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a framed piece of artwork. Um, I mean, if you go and have a look at his stuff, Karl Kopinski, uh, which is K O P I N S K I, all his work. It's, there's no borders to it. It's just kind of freestanding on the page. It's just yeah. so beautiful to work with. I love it. I love that kind of stuff. Mm. Really That's what cool. I thought. Yeah, something like that would be absolutely perfect. Yeah. But what I'm sort of um, just throwing it down looking for did you see the news this week on I think I sent it to you the link actually um, if you want to send a submarine to the to the methane lakes on Titan yeah I didn't see that I didn't Which read all of it but uh, I haven't had time yet been... can you remember the because um, we were talking about um, things to do on Titan um, because of the, the TV series that we were working on can you remember the methane lake the largest methane lake yeah and it was, it was it's in that Wanderers film as well isn't it they have, don't they have yeah. wings I think the, the, the characters or the... The yeah, flying the over it, aren't they? Over Kraken, it, yeah. Kraken Mare. Yeah. So that's the, that's wow. the methane lake that they want to send this submarine to. Um, I don't know how, uh, how long it would take. Apparently the, 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 the submarine that they want to take doesn't fit on any spacecraft that we've got at the moment. Uh, so it would have to go... The only, the only craft that we've got or that we've made that could work was it be if it slung underneath the belly of the Boeing X-37 you know the spy plane that went on okay. did the orbit of the Earth of, uh, was it last year or the year before so that would be to get it into orbit you mean uh, that would be to take it there ok so because um, the I have to modify that obviously I guess I don't know yeah well, no, I don't, or is the X-37 is, is that a space is yeah. it meant to be a space yeah, plane yeah that's a space plane that's the one that went round um, and the American Air Force flew it over China uh, and they were just saying, "Oh yeah, it's just a, it's just an experiment. We're just flying." And everybody was like, "No, you're spying on China." It was that one. Uh, I think it was last year. Yeah. But um, now that'd be cool if you can imagine, imagine that going off to Titan with a submarine underneath, oh, yeah, like amazing. attached to it. Take a long time. To get and they've, they, the um, Mars One have picked, they've picked hundred people. They've uh, oh, wow. narrowed it down to a hundred people. So there's now actually officially a hundred people who are on the list to go to Mars. That's immense. Because Mars 1 are sending them and not bringing them back, are they? No, they're not taking How many are they taking? Because they narrowed it down to 100 now. I don't know know how many they're taking. It's not many. No, it can't be. Do you know how often they'll send them? I don't know. I know they were going to send people and just keep sending people. Until they figured out how to bring it back. That's really cool. Because they did it every six months. 
Because it's an 18 month round trip, isn't it? Is it 18 month round trip? So it's nine months. So you'd be there for. I think that's probably. Six months. And it also depends where. <laughs> where Mars is. Yes. Because yeah, yeah, very if true. Like, if it's very on the opposite true. side of the sun, then. Yeah, you're screwed for a bit. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, you can go and live on Mars for the rest of your life. I mean, if you're, yeah, I mean, if you're first how would they person, do? I think, I'd love to know how they're going to do like the oxygen, because the gravity is going to be less as well. So. I suppose sunlight, maybe. It's use solar power for everything. They'd have to. It's the only thing that they can really rely on, isn't it? They're going to have most to things where, just where, require power, don't they? So the right. su- the sunlight, the sunlight. You think sunlight powers everything on Earth? Yeah. But I know, I know we've got raw materials like, you know, some so You'd have to, get some, to, you'd have to get some plants down there because that would be an easy way to get oxygen. I don't know how much oxygen you'd have to... How many plants... Well, that's an interesting one. How many plants do you need for X amount of oxygen? Well, I don't... I mean, I think the atmosphere is, what, 20, 21%? But when you breathe out, it's you only take about 70%, 7% of that in. So when you breathe out, I think 14% or something is, is oxygen. Yeah. So you don't take the whole 21% in. So it's, it's even less than that. It's even less than a fifth. That, that so you don't actually need that much? No. I mean, there, are, there are those things where they go up to um, the sulphur volcanoes. Uh, Brian Cox went up to the sulphur volcanoes and he's quite happily sitting there breathing breathing all the sulphur and it's just like after a minute it just gets a bit too much and he has to take an oxygen yeah. oxygen hit. But I suppose. Yeah, it must be. I mean, we are talking like six months worth. And maybe you'd have to, maybe the, the thing that would kill the plants would be the radiation but I'm, I'm sure they could work out some way. Yeah. So we're doing that, or I mean, can they grow plants with just UV UV lamps or something? Can they do that? I'm not sure. And then water. Where do they get the water from? Take out the atmosphere, I suppose. Not that it would be much, but I mean, might be enough. Or they can make it if they can take. Well, yeah. I suppose they can make it. Because if yeah, we've got plants. Producing oxygen. Yeah. You've only got to add a bit of hydrogen. It's the most abundant <laughs> element in the universe. I've plenty of that. But I'm very interested. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't even want to imagine how difficult that sort yeah. of project is to even get going. Right, we're going to go to Mars. Well, shit. Where do we start? <laughs> Where would you even start? I mean, you must have all you start. You, you can't start. You've got, you got, you got to do it all at the same time. Haven't like you? When, you can't. You can't start with well, okay. Well, the the obvious one is how do we get there? Off you go. Then there we go. Go and go and figure out how we're going to get there. Because then once you've got there, you've got to figure out how to how to survive on there for a day, let alone six months. Yeah. So once you've figured out how to survive for a day, you've then got to figure out how to sustainably survive for. I think maybe a day. you know, maybe living underground or something or. or... At least digging the habitat a, into the ground or something. And they then reckon there's a big like a habitable, uh, well, not habitable, but they reckon there's a big underground cave system down there, isn't there? Because um, they've detected methane coming out from underground. Yeah. Maybe there's methane lakes on Mars. Could be. Or microbes in the soil. Microbes in the soil. Where it's maybe hot, where it's warm enough. Well, I mean, but it doesn't even need to be warm enough. I mean, they found microbes that exist in... Some sheet zero, ice, some zero yeah, sheet ice, yeah, some zero found, found bacteria and sheet ice, haven't they, in Iceland? I do want, yeah, I mean, as we've spoken about before, I do wonder how it would change our view of things. Um, you know, if they did find even if even like simple, even simple microbes, I think it would expand a lot of people's minds that that maybe they'd realise, well, you know, we're not so special after all. Yeah. There's 
obviously, yeah, if there's if there's life can on yeah, Mars, exist on Mars, which is then, like the next planet. Yeah, then yeah, it's pretty. It looks pretty barren from a you know betting perspective. If you if you're gonna yeah. bet, you wouldn't say well, there's gonna look life on Mars. You know, you pick Earth. Um, but there must be plenty of planets out there that are in a better situation than Mars, but a worse situation than Earth. Yeah. Well, well, is it Kepler? Oh, what's the... Kepler, Kepler... I can't remember the name number of it. Kepler 47, something like that. Loads. That's one that's the nearest nearest size and um, habitable zone area for Earth. It makes makes a lot of sense to have... I mean, just playing Elite Dangerous. I've been playing a bit of Elite Dangerous recently. I played played a bit last night. Have you got your Oculus Rift yet? No. Are you going to get it? Uh, When the consumer version is out, uh, almost definitely. Really? Wow. Yeah, that'd be cool. Just because I'm, I, if anyone hasn't, yeah, Elite Dangerous is a um, like a space sim, but it's set in a one-to-one scale representation of the Milky Way. Which so there's literally 400 epic. billion guys now, and they've got they had a new update, and the new update now, if you go into a system and you're the first one to scan it and discover it, when somebody else comes in, it will say system whatever discovered, discovered by. by. So, uh, what's your character name? Is your uh, character name Ashley Callum, or is it? No, it's it's Septimus Kane. Oh, fantastic! <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. <coughs> yeah, because I thought, oh, I might as well. I just wanted to try a little um, get involved. Name from Soul. So, uh, yeah, so it'll, it'll say discovered by such and such. I haven't I haven't done that yet. I don't know if I need to play in open play because I, I play in solo, which means that it's just me and NPCs and stuff. Yeah. Um, open play is where you can bump into. You people. know, you can literally just get nailed by people, but. Why haven't you played an open play yet? It's like playing uh, hardcore Diablo. Why don't you play hardcore Diablo? I don't know really. I, I haven't. Ashley's scared. I just no no no. I just I just <laughs> thought I'm not really good enough at it yet, and I don't really know, like perfectly what I'm doing, and I didn't yeah. want to hop in before I was yeah before I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm sort of ready. I mean, uh, I played even got um, saved up and um, mined for days and days and days and levelled up my character and learnt loads of skills and bought this massive ship and then went out and was like, oh, cool, right, yeah, let's go over to, I'm going to go over to so-and-so system, zoned into the system, um, bang, pirate, bang, dead. <laughs> yeah. Ship blown up, held my pod to ransom, didn't have any money left, blew my pod up, back to square one. I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, and that's, so, the, I mean, that was the last time I, I played think Eve, seriously. you hold on to the money, so I think I must have about 200,000 credits or something. I, I, I need 250,000 credits for a, a for a, a detailed surface scanner. So at the moment, I've oh, been okay. exploring and earning money from exploring. Because if you yeah. find the system, scan the system, you can scan the star. It names the star because it just says unexplored up until then. Scan the star and then you go around and stuff. And if you find like an Earth-type planet and scan the surface, and you, that that finds that tells you whether it's got like um, any materials, or yeah, materials on it and things like that. And um, you, you get obviously a lot more money for that. Um, but it was uh, I was going somewhere with this. Yeah, every so often you know you you get to a star that doesn't have any planets, or it's a binary star. You know, it's a binary star system yeah. and they're spinning around each other. But most of the time, the stars will have at least three, four, five, six planets or so. You know, and it's all procedurally generated, and it's all according to the known laws of physics and things. So there's no reason why these planets and things out there wouldn't have those number of planets. So, um, you know, it makes sense to say, well, there's at least four hundred billion planets in the in our in our galaxy, at least there must be. If if there's a planet for at least one planet for every star, which there must be, yeah. You know, if, if if we're just a pretty average solar system, we've got nine or ten or however many it is now. Um, you think yeah, there must be there must be more and more. 
you know. Um, so you think you start to think, well, even if even if we if you took all of the variables, you know, a planet could be you know five fifty six million miles away, then it could be fifty six million and fifty miles away, and do you know what I mean? Even yeah, if you yeah. took all of those infinite number of variables, there's still going to be a, a shed load of planets that could possibly are in that correct zone to you know to to have a life and things. But then I suppose life's got to get started in the first place, hasn't it? Yeah. Which is another hurdle that got have that kick come across. But uh, I think I was telling you about that that guy called Jeremy England. Yeah. England. England. Uh, a young American uh, exo. I think they call him an exobiologist and physicist. And he was saying that. Uh, who was the guy who played Freddy Krueger? Is that John England? Yeah, that was England, wasn't it? England. Yeah, England. Yeah, something like that. Karen. Yeah. Jamie England. So this guy was like, well, <laughs> Freddy yeah, he, he, he didn't play Freddy Krueger, he was an exobiologist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, he thinks that uh, life has no choice but to occur. He says if the initial yeah. conditions are right, life will just happen. You know, he says if you, uh, it's as inevitable as you putting, you know. Um, Put more and more variables on it, it's inevitable. That yeah, it's a bit of, I forget what that experiment was that we should do. It was it Francine or something, one of the one of the high, re- high reacting metals, and you put it in some water and it fizzes up. He says that's that's not. That's it's inevitable that's going to happen just because of the initial conditions. Yeah. So he says it might, life might be exactly the same way. He says whether intelligent life will ever arise, if those conditions are present, that that can be, obviously that might not happen. But he says you know the potential for it to be there, um, or if the potential for it to happen is there, you know. Um, Crazy. Why don't I, have, I had something else. Uh, so you got on there. Oh, guitar scientific approach. Um, yes. Because we played, we played we a played bit last week, week didn't we? which yeah. is cool. Hopefully well, you we guys enjoyed it. And then we, 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 yeah, yeah. Well, you no, played before it. I was strumming. Yeah, well, they're probably not listening anymore. Um, we lost all our listeners because of your atrocious guitar playing. Oh, yeah. Because mine um, was epic. But it started to get a bit better, my, my technique, last few days, and specifically last... How do you measure your day? technique getting better? Because um, from where I'm looking at, your technique's awesome. Well, I'll try and play fast passages, fast picked passages, yep. and they'll either sound clean or they don't. Okay. Or it will feel easy. To, it will feel it will feel a chore to. It will be effort to play, or it will be nice Fluid. and easy. Nice and easy. You know, the, the the pick won't. The strings won't be fighting the pick. My fingers won't. You know, the strings won't be fighting the fingers, and so on. Um, uh, I mean, the ESP guitar I've got is nice. And I was going to say, are you playing on the ESP now? Yeah, it's it's really nice setup, so it's easy easier to play than my other ones. Are you definitely get, getting rid of both of these, or are you going to keep the? I might keep the blue one, but I'm not sure. <laughs> I love the blue one. It is nice, yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it's. Uh, I start. I'd always thought about, oh, you know, how shall I angle my pick? Is there a scientific approach to this? And I didn't think anybody had ever had. I just thought, right, you've just got to practice for X amount of day. Make sure you practice is perfect because if you're practicing and it's sloppy, you're just practicing to be uncoordinated and sloppy. Yeah, you know? definitely. Um, so that was one of the things I asked you last week. Do I do I practice to be accurate or do I practice to be fast? Well, if you practice to be accurate, then the speed will just come automatically, yeah. which is it took me a long time to figure out. And I, I made, I, I've got to say, I, I used to practice really sloppily a lot. Um, you know, back you know, years and years ago when I started playing guitar, and then when, when even when I was in a band and stuff, it was just like a. a uh, a desire to get faster and get more accurate and stuff, but it doesn't happen overnight. You know, needs you know, need to woodshed. They call it you know, in the woodshed and just practice. Um, but this guy on YouTube, I can't remember his name now because I only only subscribed yesterday. He's examining uh, 
a guitarist called Ingve Malmsteen, who's a Swedish guitar player, lives in, lives in the States, has done for years. Um, he's he's famous, famous for his neoclassical type shredding. Um, yeah. very, plays uh, in the uh, G3, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah, so amazing guitarist, amazing musician, uh, amazing composer, no, has perfect pitch, um, amazing vibrato, amazing string control, note control, uses harmonics, all, all you know, sweet picking, and he plays a scallop fretboard as well. Yeah. Um, and he has quite high action, which is harder to play fast. Um, and he plays a strat as well, which is which is not a guitar that you associate with being like a shredder's guitar because it's quite bulky and yeah. and heavy and so what would you play? What would you play? A, what would a shredder play? Well, I don't know. I mean, Ibanez are famous for it. ESP Horizon. So what does Satriani play? I can never remember. He that. plays an Ibanez. That's okay. Uh, so does Steve Vai. Petrucci. He plays a music man, I believe. Music man, music Never man yeah. And I think they're owned by Ernie Ball, maybe. He makes strings. Okay, can't remember. Never heard of them. Yeah, music man. Yeah, uh, I don't think they're a huge brand, and he's anyway, he's definitely the most famous. But he has a signature model. Yeah, and stuff. But um, yeah, he's examining Ingve's playing, and he's saying, you know, but to having like real close-up shots, finds any footage he can, and examines it. And he says every he, single pick, every single time he. Well, he, not every single pick, but just uh, yeah, the way he crosses strings. Because you imagine if you're on a single string, and you're just playing three notes over again. Da, 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 you know, it's it's once you get your coordination up, you can just play it almost not almost any speed. But what limits your speed there is the speed that you can pick, or the the, the size of the motions of the yeah. pick, and the way that the ang- the angle that the pick's held at. Because some angles, the pick will want to just glide through the string. Yeah, on the downstroke and on the upstroke. Yeah, yeah. Um, the pick material as well. I've noticed that. That was one of the things I noticed when your your pick that because I picked your pick up. I picked your pick up last week, yeah. and it's a very plectrum. stiff plectrum. Oh yeah, yeah. It's very very the stiff. Stiffer the better. Whereas really. mine's mine are um, credit cards which I've stamped out, um, and then I got some free with a uh, with the guitar stands that I've got, uh, and the the ones that I got free are very soft. Um, and then obviously the credit card ones aren't particularly stiff, but then yours is really stiff. Well, if you think if you think about it this way, the the stiffer your pick is, and the as the long more, as it's the like, more instant, the yeah, because you think the, the string does you don't hear the sound until the string is actually vibrating. Now, string can't can't be vibrating when your pick is touching it. So the string sounds when you, your pick leaves it. Now, if you've got a slot, you know, a very thin, bendy pick... Yeah, it's going to stay on the string. Your brain will tell you that, well, it's left, but it hasn't. It's it's still bent, and then you, oh, there's okay. kind of like a slight delay. Yeah. And your your mind needs that um, instant feedback. Yeah. Um, so it's funny, I was, I was filming myself on my iPhone yesterday, um, and I was looking at my playing in the on the iPhone screen. Oh, wow. And because there's obviously a little bit of a delay, it was sloppy. It sounded sloppy. So then as soon as you like, I, I switched to watch myself in the reflection of the TV. So they didn't have the TV on. And it's like a you know, yeah. your black background, and it, it instantly cleaner because you've got instant feedback. Okay. So the act of watching myself on the screen, even though there's like a slight delay, made it harder to play. See again, even that's you've one got of the... the feedback under your fingers and under the tick. So this guy was examining him, and he said. Uh, he noticed a few things, you know, he only changes string on an upstroke, and he only changes string when he does this, and he only picks here, he does like a, a pull-off there, and, and he says rather than it being just like a, sub, uh, a consequence of his playing, he thinks it's a deliberate, calculated 
thought process goes behind it. You know, he will do like a runner up, up, like from the low E string onto the A onto the D, three notes per string, going back on himself and stuff. And he says it looks crazy, but he says when you break it down, it's just with the pick in hand, down, up, down, up, down, up, down, up, down. You know, and it's yeah. he's always changes the string on the upstroke or after an upstroke. Because so the, after an upstroke, so the... I think he he said yeah after okay. an upstroke, yeah. Um, and he showed he showed kind of like a uh, a guitar, like the six guitar strings in in sort of profile, yep. and he there's like a, a graphical representation of a pick yep. like doing a downstroke, and he says once you do that you downstroke, you you stuck in between those two strings, yep. and you need to hop out again to do an upstroke, and he says when you do the upstroke, it's already it's already above, then you can do a downstroke. And he just sort of showed it, and then he was filming him. So he's got like a little rig set up on his guitar neck, and he's filming his picking hand really yeah. close up. And he's playing this descending run from the high string, few notes on there, few notes on the string below, few notes on the string below, all the way down to the things like twenty, twenty-five notes. But he's just like like that all the way down, and he's just playing it over and over again. He says, "I can, he said, I can't go wrong." Is that in yeah. terms of the rhythm of the way he was picking then? So he was doing the the, yeah. the change on the upstroke. So stroke. he's got he's it's obviously a decent guitar player. Yeah. He's got a very good left and right hand. But he says this when you want to try and play fast with the left and right hand, pick every note. That gives a certain sound, a very sort of percussive, clean, um, uh, kind of playing with a clarity to every single note. Okay. And he says it. I can't do it wrong. He says as long as I start that with that pick. Then he says, he was going on about chunking, so he says, Yngwie, he noticed that he breaks his licks into, uh, you know, five or six notes, say six note groupings. So he knows he just has to go down, up, down, up, down, up. And then the next downstroke is the next six string pattern. Okay. So he just, he just does six notes, six notes, six notes, or four notes, four notes, four notes, or five notes, five notes, five notes, or three, 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 three. Or a, mi- or a mixture of them. Three notes, three notes, three notes, six, six, four, four, or whatever. When it, I'm talking about longer, r- longer yeah, yeah. solo passages here and stuff, not just bent notes and single notes. Um, and he says, then you, you then as all you've got to think about, he started to just think about that downstroke on the seventh note, and then the downstroke again on the on the what would it be, the thirteenth note. Yes. And he says, as long as he did that, couldn't go wrong. He says, every, all the the other five notes just took care of themselves. Wow, yeah, and it's crazy. I haven't really looked too much into it. And he, he goes, he might, he maybe goes into a, a level of detail that's too extreme. But um, you know, he has slow motion cameras set up, and he examines footage and things like that. And he's obviously his playing is is immaculate. His speed playing, he's and he plays on just a, a bog standard guitar, just a strat, you know, with a humbucker pickup and stuff, and a single coil, and uh, you know, in the neck and. Yeah, I can't fault his playing. Really can't. Um, so yeah, I've started to take a bit more of a scientific approach and think, right, am I slant, am I slanting the pick? And but I've started to anchor my finger again, my little finger to the to the uh, to the body bottom of the pickup. Whereas okay. before, I'd watched Paul Gilbert and, and a couple of other players, and they didn't. Uh, but I I'd spent years and years anchoring my finger, and it's I'm kind of like it's like I was trying to learn again, you know. Um, nice. So if I yeah. wanted to get better at picking, what what things did he did he kind of highlight in the video? He said, uh, like, because you were talking about the angle of the pick. Yeah, the angle of the pick wants to be uh, so down slightly. So if you look, uh, if you looked, so if I looked at you, 
sorry, if you looked at me, the pick would be facing leaning uh, away down towards the head. Leaning down towards the floor. Yeah. Um, so not not flat, not horizontal. So if you looked you looked at me that you wouldn't yeah. be able to see along the pick, it would be at a forty five degree angle almost. Because then it's at the it's at the same angle for a downstroke as it is an upstroke. Okay. Whereas you imagine if it if it was slightly tilted it wouldn't Well it would be, but he says that forty five degrees is the, the best way to go about it or the best angle to, to use. Um I'm sure it changes it's interesting, minutely. Interesting every what time, you said yeah. about anchoring your um, finger. Obviously, I'm, not hard, I, but it's kind I'm of like never, a reference point. But yeah, I, I find I'm never quite sure where to put. Well, I find I can make my I can make smaller movements with the pick if I have like a, a little yeah. finger or something anchored. I felt when I was um, uh, before, I felt I was just trying to pivot my wrist. Um, and it works, but I, I found myself making big movements. And recently, over the last few weeks, well, I've, I've been concentrating on trying to make really, really small movements with the pick. So you're making pick... that? Are you making that with your wrist, or are you doing it with your fingers? No, no, it's it's kind of like a a, a mixture. It's, it's the wrist, it's it's the fingers. Um, yeah, because you can't you can't really you can go a lot you can go a lot quicker when you when you sort of anchored. Okay. Well, I find I can do it. I find, it's kind of like my my hands floating. But anchored, so it's anchored, but it's kind of free to move around and stuff. So it's it's anchored but relaxed. It's not anchored, and I'm not holding on for dear life. Yeah, you know, everything's nice and relaxed. And that's when you, whenever you see those players, they're always relaxed, just relaxed. And they they play faster when they're relaxed. You know, if you tense up and stuff. Whereas I'm at the stage now when I try and play faster and faster, I get tense because sometimes you equate getting faster or making faster movements with being more tense. But yeah. you know, probably from typing or anything. The more relaxed tennis. you are, yeah. The more relaxed you are, the better. You know, you've got to be relaxed, but then you've got to apply force in a relaxed yeah. manner. You know. Um, but yeah. So that's what I've been been trying to do. Oh, oh yeah, exercise. You could do. Um, I often break them down into right hand, left hand, and then together. So you do left hand stuff, which is legato. So that would sort out your fingers and get the strength of your fingers up and then the independence of them up. Yeah. Um, so I often do just sort of uh, uh, little drills. I'll, I'll do a scale up the neck and I'll pick the first note, hammer on the second and third on the same string. Then the next string up, I'll pick the first note, hammer on second note, hammer on the third note, and okay. so on all the way up. Yeah. Or I'll just repeat it or I'll ham- hammer the first note. Sorry, pick the first note, hammer the second and third, go back to the first finger again, hammer on. So you do one pick note and then five yeah. hammer-ons. Yeah. And then go up and get up the next string and do the same thing. All different patterns like that, really. Um, I've thought about doing hammer-ons with the with the, with your left as well. I've thought about practicing those. Yeah, because then it, it 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 just gets that left hand more yeah. dexterous. Because sometimes your peaking hand can be the more accurate run, and the left hand is trying to keep up with the right. Um, whereas if you can get both of them at a similar level, because I struggle. Do. One of the things that you know when we were doing those modes and the scales last week and the shapes, I can, I'm okay when I'm going down. But then when I get to the top of the top of the scale and I have to go back, sorry, I'm okay going up. But when I get to the top of the scale and I've got to go back down again, and you're you're walking your fingers down the string, yeah, it's it's a lot more difficult to to in my head get a clearer note because I've got to release that string, put the finger on the other one, and then yeah. so on the same string and then pick it again. Yeah, yeah, I, I'm, that's where I'm struggling to get 
the timing right. Um, I have to do that one slowly. Yeah. Um, so I can go up the scale quite quickly, but then coming down, I've got to be very particular and very careful with that. So hopefully that'll improve. But I think that the, the uh, you could do the same thing with the picking hand as well. I, I've got a few drills that I do. Um, so do you pick when you when you're concentrating on the picking hand? Is your left hand doing anything, or are you uh, picking? A, a lot. A lot of time, I'll just I'll just have my left hand resting. No, not even holding a chord. Just just resting on the strings so they're muted. Okay. So I get a bit of like, I get a percussive sound. You can't really hear it. You can't identify a note. You just get a percussive sound, and I'll try and do. So yeah, one string. I'll, I'll, rhythm. Yeah, I'll do. I'll do say like down, up, down, up, on the next string up. So I'll pick three notes yep. on one string. I'll go up one string and pick a note, and then come down now. and pick two. So you've got a six note, da 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 like that. But obviously you don't hear the, yeah. the notes. It's just it's just like a percussive sound, and you can really pick out any flaws in timing or in volume or anything of of your you know your pick hand. Because sometimes you know, if you go down up down on one string, you've got to skip over the next string and do an up. So you kind of like picking outside of the strings instead of inside. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so that that's really helped me out actually because I I found that I was it was just too inconsistent. You know, I, I was I was kind of hitting and scraping the string on. I was going down, up, down, down a little bit, and then coming back up again. So I was kind of like hitting it so twice there. So that that uh, the 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 picking that uh, Malmsteen does then does he write to suit his picking? Because if he goes down, up, down, and then changes on the up... I think he just up, does patterns that let... It's going to have to This be... is only when playing fast passages. I think yeah. he just plays... He writes passages that only have... Uh, or he won't just go... Because what this guy's saying is, is, say you've got a pattern, and you're going, say, down, up, down, then you're switching a string, that's on a downstroke, then you're going up, down, up, then you're switching on, a down, on an upstroke... Like a normal yeah. three three note per string pattern that can be done. Obviously, people do it really well. Like Paul Gilbert can play just as well as Ingve Malmsteen, um, but he will do strict alternate picking. But I think Ingve doesn't really do just a three note per string pattern. He'll 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 do notes that will enable him to switch on an upstroke. Yeah. So this guy was saying. Yeah. Anyway, no, he, that makes he, sense. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I suppose yeah, he does he does write to, or only play things that suit his technique or make it. Because I suppose what's important if, if you're going to play a fast passage, don't fight yourself. You're making it dip, you know, you're making yeah. it difficult for yourself, and your body doesn't know. So what's it, the fastest? What's the fastest passage? Because he's, he's done what's the arpeggio one that Malmsteen famously did, um, oh, Devil's know. Arpeggio or something. Because that's one of the fastest ones I've heard. There's loads of there's and loads of runs. And then Satriani does, he does. Um, Headless Horseman, which I think is awesome. Um, because he's more of a legato player, Satriani. I think he's he's very very good at legato. Okay. I don't hear. I don't. Right. Well, he probably obviously he's, he's very good at picking. But I think Paul Gilbert's a bit more of a picker. Okay. Doesn't do loads of legato, and he has a very percussive picking sound, especially on the lower strings. It's like da 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 da, and then the the strings open up. The sound opens up when he gets to the higher strings because you don't really mute those too much. So it's a very sort of percussive lead picking oh, sound, right. which which I really like. I love the sound of it. Yeah. You know. Um. But uh, but no, I mean t- it takes years to get to those guys' Brilliant. level. But I mean Brilliant. you know s- yeah I can't I can't really, I can't really comment on speed. I don't know what it would be in sort of beats per minute, sixteenth notes. I don't really know. Um, it's rapid though. It's rapid though. Yeah. If you know if you know of a fast um, guitar solo, link it to us. 
Right, well, Rising Force by by Mal Steen. Yeah. Anything by. Link it. Send us, send us a message on Twitter. What's the Paul fastest? Gilbert. Superheroes is good. Song Superheroes by Paul Gilbert. Yeah, or um, Technical Difficulties. That has a that has a good riff with kind of like three note per string, uh, sort of um, really fast passages all picked. Uh, yeah. Cool. Right. What else do we have? Bottom stuff. How's uh, your bow? Is your bow? Uh, not so. I'm bow I'm going to ring them. What is the time actually? I'm going to ring them after we finish the podcast at like five o'clock. No, I think that. No, I thought I'd have to ring them tomorrow. Um, it says on the website that they had delivery on Monday. Okay. So because when I pre-ordered it, it was January. It said uh, due January fifteenth. Now it says due Jan- uh, February fifteenth. So they said they do get deliveries Monday. So I'll have to. I'll have so to ring them. I haven't received an email yet. So. Hopefully it'll come this week because um, yes, Lindsay's, so Lindsay's in Norwich on Saturday. Oh, then we could go uh, um, in the morning. I was supposed to be. Yes, definitely. I was supposed to be going down to. Well, I wasn't supposed to be. I'd offered to pop down to. Uh, the ed- the editor of the the one of the car magazines that I shoot for has just um, rented a workshop, uh, and I said I'd pop down and just kind of help him help him fit it out because we get on really well as well. So I'd just help him fit it out, give him a hand with anything that he needs. Um, but he said uh, one of the guys that he's renting it with, a guy called John, um, he said if you came down and he wasn't there, he he wouldn't be very happy because he likes talking to me apparently. So. Yeah, um, <laughs> so he's there on a Saturday. So he's just come out of hospital, so he's got um, he's got another couple of kind of days recovery sort of thing. So he said it'd be better to come down in two weeks' time on the Saturday rather than this Saturday. So yeah, if, you, if hopefully if it comes this week, then we can yeah. get down and see Mister Grizzly Jim. I'm um, sure they take a day. I'm sure they take a day to come if they post it. But um, yeah, it's been long enough. And I move house next. Well, start moving house next Wednesday. Next Wednesday is that when you start moving everything over? So we don't have to, yeah, and we've, we've got this place for another another few another sort of three weeks. Okay. Um, so we've got a podcast at mine. So next yeah, week. so well, it's, it's got it's got a. Well, next we'll have to do a podcast at your new gaff, at your new place. We'll have to, yeah. Do a podcast out in the seven acres worth of. Yeah, we'll have to. Yeah, that'd be cool. We're in the broad somewhere. <laughs> be nice. Yeah, so we'll, it, do, we'll do an archery podcast with just us shooting out in the. Well, we'll, yeah, we'll, have a, we'll have a quick conversation, and then all you'll hear on the podcast is twang, thud, twang, thud. And then we'll come My back. That'll sound better than that, won't it? Yours will go. There, cruiser. Thud. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully you won't hear yours. Because your, your old one, well, you broke the string, but yours was so noisy and it's so vibrating. Yeah, it, it was weird. It, it was got harsh better when to we shoot. Lo- it got really better was. when we loosened the, um, the brace height, lowered the brace height. Yeah. Um, it was very harsh to shoot, which wasn't. But I'm just so excited to try some, some different bows. Yeah, I haven't shot. I haven't shot for. A... No, we haven't. No, well, I mean, we haven't shot since um, since you broke your string. Pretty no, much. no, yeah, I didn't. I, I didn't bother getting. But I, I thought, well, I'm gonna have to go to a a, a thing to get one anyway. And me, you and no when, me, you and Lindsay went and shot, didn't we? Did you use Siobhan's bow then, or did you cancel that? I can't remember when. No, no, no. Well, yeah, uh, that we used mine, but then I think it's did it snap after Lindsay I think it went? When Lindsay went, didn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's right. We saw the string had started fraying slightly. Just because the, where it was when it was uh, cut in, yeah, when it was cut in, it wasn't it wasn't sanded down. It was just a, it was quite a harsh edge, wasn't it? On, yeah. the, on the string, yeah. and it was just I was quite surprised. Repeated. Uh, well, you looked at yours closely, and yours were very smooth. Siobhan's were pretty smooth as well. Yeah, so it's it was just, just like yours. bloody hell. Um, There's another thing. See, I really can't, I really can't wait to get tuned again. Um, no, it's good. We were getting into a really good groove as well. We were, we're hitting, yeah. hitting some good 
So well, apart you... from the apart from the two hours that I lost. Yeah, but we're gonna. Well, I mean, we'll have to buy some more hours. I'll have to buy some hours. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Any anyway, because. Well, we'll go. Um, we'll go down on Saturday. Lindsay says she's going to get me some for for Valentine's Day, which is kind of cool. Because um, she's got. Don't tell anybody, but she's got some. We've ordered some new glasses for her, uh, which are awesome. She's got some purple ones and some red ones, and they look fantastic. Well, she doesn't know yet. No, yeah, she knows. She right. knows. We went in and we had a sight test because we went in. Um, we went in because she wanted to to replace the um, bumpers on hers, uh, the ones that the pads that sit on your nose, not bumpers, the pads. So we went into Specsavers to uh, get those replaced. And while we were in there, I was I, I found a pair. And I was like, here, try these on. And she tried them on. I said, oh, they're really cool. And we just got into a bit of a got in a bit of a um, uh, glass trying on session and she was just picking up glasses and trying them on it was really cool she looked really cool in a lot of them and uh, we finally settled on a purple pair and a red pair i went to try and pay for them and said i'm sorry you can't have them you need to have a sight test so we booked in for a sight test uh, this saturday just gone went down uh, did that really interesting to kind of listen and watch the uh, optician do run through it and seeing all the different what's she got there both eyes the same or one one different um one's slightly worse than the other ones neither of them are really bad i don't think um does she even need glasses slightly sorry does she even need glasses then yeah yeah she needs glasses it's slightly her prescription's got slightly i don't know whether you say worse or bigger i don't know but the 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 prescription's further away from 2020 division right okay um if if that makes sense Uh, but only a little bit um but she said it was noticeable. That's normal, isn't it, for sites yeah, to, to, yeah. to deteriorate? She said it was noticeable when she put the the new prescription uh, ones lenses in the in the test. Wow! Said uh, she noticed a difference. So it'd be really cool when they come. They should be coming. Should should be available Wednesday stroke Thursday. Um, so I'm going to give her a phone. Give them a phone call tomorrow when Lindsay's at university and see if I can pop in and pick them up. Cool. Um, and then she goes back to Norwich for a campus tour. Uh, on Thursday, um, and so I think she comes back on Monday. Mm. So yeah, Saturday yeah, we'll go to... and we'll go and sort that out. That'd be really cool. I don't want, I don't want that to go even if even if it doesn't come because I know what poundage it is. I can just pick arrows. Yeah, I was going to say they probably know. have a they probably have a have one there. It's, uh, I don't know whether it's come set up though, or whether it will need setting up. I think you can do it pretty much yourself. I think it, it just it just comes set up. I think because you're not um, going to know what fifty pounds is. No, but you could. There, there's adjustments on there. Yeah. Yeah. So just adjust it. Until you you... T- I think it must. It comes with a hex hex key or Allen key or whatever, yeah. and you can just yeah, you can just just adjust these things. Um, oh, I can't wait. Can't wait. Yeah, I really miss really shooting cool. though. Uh, now because we started <laughs> yes. and that. Yeah, now, yeah, it's, really, now the really weather. I mean, it. the weather today is beautiful. It's really nice. It was, it's yeah. really cool to. And what is it? It's five o'clock now, and it's still light. Yeah, so nice. it would have been awesome to be going, getting out and shooting. Um, uh, but, uh, no, we'll definitely, definitely, definitely get into that. Cool. Anything so else on? Sorry. Uh, I think that's about it, actually. So it's a lot today, anyway. I still uh, need to get. I definitely need to find some. I think I've done everything on my list. Yeah, print stuff. It was just all, it's a lot of writing stuff today. We had well, that I had to talk about anyway. Yeah, so I'm trying to find some. Uh, week. Trying to find some people to do. Actually, I need to make my plinth for the um, athlete statue mm. photo shoot. Yeah. photo set, which I'm going to do. So I need to I need to kind of knuckle down and make that print. And I'm also a uh, plinth, uh, and I'm also going to make a like a sandstone backdrop, yeah. textured sandstone backdrop to put behind it. 
which would be quite cool. Um, so that's another reason why you need to get your bear cruiser, so we can go and do an archery shoot. Exactly. Archery photo shoot. Yeah. I, 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 it, should, it should bloody come here. Otherwise, I'm going to have to get, I'm going to have to get him to deliver it to my, to my um, new place. Um, oh yeah, if you're moving in next, well, starting to move in next week. Yeah. You're not going to be. No, no. I mean, we, well, we've we've got stuff down to a minimum now. I mean, we've got uh, we've only got two two sort of bits of furniture to move with, and we're moving into a. Uh, I don't think I mentioned it last time, but we're moving into a um, sort of like a, a, well, a, a mansion, stately home you? type yeah, thing. You bought, oh, a sta- I wish. bought a stately home. I wish. His, his calisthenics book is doing so well. He's bought a stately home over oh, in the middle of Norfolk. Oh, but uh, the, the, <laughs> the German, oh, well, the Chinese contract went off the other day, so the Chinese awesome. translation will be coming out. Well, I don't know when, but it will be coming out soon. Uh, Spain, uh, the Spanish one. Is being done at the moment as well. All the advances have been paid for those, so I'm quite sure for that. Yeah, because uh, I wasn't 100 percent sure about the Chinese one, but I, I, I'll, I've just because you got I can't a direct that... email from them, didn't you? Or I did direct a, I Facebook did first, message, yeah, and, then, Facebook and then it message. turned out that um... and it went into my other box, and I yeah. didn't see it for ages. And by the time I saw it, it was kind of like, oh shit! You know, a month later, and I sent an email back quickly, just saying, oh yeah, I'm so sorry, I, I've, I've missed this. This didn't come to my inbox. You know, I've only just seen it. Um, but it turned out that uh, Ellie, our publicist, was in contact with them already. Yeah. Um, and had sorted it That's all out. That's so. going to be a killer. That's going to be massive. I hope so, yeah. Very I hope good. So. How, what, yeah. what kind of lead time is that? Because the German one is about ready to go, is it? Uh, How long has that taken? It was April, but I think it's 5th of May, 10th of May or something. Okay. It's available on Amazon now to pre-order. Okay. Um, and it's just called, I think it's just called Calisthenics uh, Handbook. Handbook uh, Calisthenics. Four Das Bodyweight, something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. Um, it looks really cool though um, uh, they've kept the sort of design which John said is a good sign because it just ties everything in there and it's, cool. it's and I've, I've well you helped me is the cover the same yeah uh, but the I think I'm mirrored so it's a, it's a oh really if, yeah if no one's seen the complete calisthenics cover it's me doing a planche um, and it's your, I think it's your mirrored yeah it, it's, it's my I think my head's your going head's, the other way yeah your head's towards the open <clears> of the book on the UK one. Yeah, and so I think you've turned it the other way. That's yeah. odd. I think my head's going towards the spine. That's very odd. Yeah. Must be a German thing. So maybe it's a German. design decision or something. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. So, yeah, I'm, yeah I'm, really, I'm really chuffed. I, th- uh, I think it's... Uh, well, you've, um, also got, you've also got some news about the website as well because you're about to relaunch your... Yeah, well, I've been... Website, you, well, you awesome. said to me a few, a few weeks ago about Squarespace, a company called Squarespace. If you haven't checked them out, or if you're thinking about building a website... Go and check them out because they're incredible. Um, I have. I've... I'm going to get in contact with them actually and say, can we have a, a discount code for Squarespace, please? So you can go to squarespace.com/polymath and get 10% off. So I'm going to contact them and ask them because. Yeah, because well, I, I still need I'd to be, be more impressed one. now. Watching, it's unbelievable watching Mr. Ashley Callum, who knows nothing about anything like that kind of. Uh, and you kind of clicked on it and it loaded it up. I was like really impressed yeah. with it. It looks really cool. So I'm even more impressed now. Well, I was struggling with um, the DNS settings and things. I needed to move yep. my uh, my domain because my domain name is held by WordPress, and and I needed to move it over. And it it just Squarespace made it so easy, and their instructions were so clear. But it was it was WordPress that wasn't really playing ball yeah, initially. Yeah, then when you came over today, something had, had changed. I think seventy two hours had, had elapsed or something. I think that's why there were more options up there. And um, we got it working in sort of five minutes. And yeah. I thought it would take time to switch over. I did as well, but no, you went on to calisthenics.com and it went bang straight, straight up, up to the new website. Squares, powered yeah. by Squarespace. The old it looks ones really cool. The old ones print uh, 
So that's that www.completecalisthenics.com. Yep. Yep. Yeah, that'll so, take you right there. And then tomorrow um, you're going to get the forum. Yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, I had a little play around with the forum the other week. Uh, and I think there's a company called uh, Mute, I think they pronounce it, mwt.com. And they do kind of like a, a community forum type um, service. And you you just basically put in the website address. So it can be calisthenics.com forward slash you know, forum. You put that in, and it will take you straight there. It will take you to an external site, but it will be a yeah, forum. Yeah. But it will just mean that I can have an English one, a Spanish one, a, 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 a French one, German one, obviously, a Chinese one, and hopefully the old Mandarin one. Um, because I know a lot of people are contacting me saying, oh, can we get some sort of forum going? It would be quite good. Yeah, it would be um, spot on, it? It's just, but just, I, cause I, I want there to be a bit more of a, a community and people will be able to help each other out and stuff. Because uh, there will come a time when I can't answer all the emails, you know, there will be too many or... I'll just be yeah. too busy with other stuff. And because since um, you said that, I was wondering about putting a forum on my website um, for, for the photography side of things. And I need to. I'm going to start doing because Lindsay actually mentioned it as well. I said you should you should uh, write a like a day in the life of of what you do. And I was like, well, I've actually got one. It's the blog which is on there. I've just not been updating it. So after she said that, I was like, now I really do need to kind of just to, yeah. just just keep putting things on. And I've downloaded WordPress got a new 6 plus iphone 6 plus which is awesome oh my god finally um, caught up with me though. yeah yeah finally <laughs> caught up with you slag and um so i've downloaded the wordpress thing on there so uh, which is hopefully going to help me blog a little bit more regularly um because it doesn't I mean that's one of the reasons why i started the original blog in the first place which turned into a photography website um, so yeah i need to start doing that a little bit more but then after that i was thinking wouldn't it be cool to have like just stick a forum up there as well and say, look, guys, just come and post your automotive car photos and sports photos up so here. It, and could, be a, it could be a learning just, experience as yeah. well. People get, you know, how, okay, Chris, how do you do this? How would you do this? Yeah. I've got to do a photo shoot. How would you approach it? Blah, blah. Yeah. It'd be quite a sort of uh, a good way of um, generating interest. Um, yeah, so that, that might be, I'm, I'm, I'm really quite interested about Squarespace now, so I might have a play. Because I think that this is the way you think, a lot of people that have been buying the book have been, it's just overwhelmingly, positive you know yeah. it, it, it's I mean, obviously there'll be some negative reviews out there and i think um i think sure siobhan found one saying it's ready post saying oh guys you can get this if you've got amazon prime you can you can borrow the borrow the book or something um and then for free or something. well i still get paid for it okay regardless uh, but you're always going to get people a part of stuff anyway there's nothing you can do about it um but then the guy was saying oh no he said i'll let you all know how it's how it's going and then they put edit. I've had a look. Don't don't bother. The the guy thinks that uh, rows and pull ups use the same muscle groups. And I was like, well, they do. <laughs> I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have written it if I didn't think that. Um, so I don't rows know. Rows and pull ups. I, I mean, you know, if if maybe it's the first human ever to exist that can isolate, um, you know, the muscle groups for pulling. I mean, maybe I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously not. So I mean, you, you're pulling into you're pulling into two different planes. A row is is more or less pulling towards you. I was going back yeah. out. You know, and a put and a pull up is is more or less down, but the the, the, it's the know, same muscle shoulder base move the same way. And if you, I mean, you know, your biceps still, your muscles can't push; they can only pull. Yeah. And because they can only pull, and because you're doing your you upper, only have upper, upper back. Well, I mean, it's it's pulling. I mean, I, I, yeah. I've 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 always thought you know the upper body can only push and pull. What else can it do? It can stabilize, yeah. But e- even in a planche, you're still pushing. Mm. Because you're pushing up away. That was one yeah. of the one of the ways that you know, you're you're pushing the, the your 
the muscles engaged are attempting to push your hands away from you. So it was one of the things you told me to when but I was trying just, to learn how to your do body's... the lever. You were saying just pull down on the bar. Yeah, pull down. Even though you're yeah. already hanging on it, pull down on the bar and it will lift. Yeah. lift a front, it a front lever. It's a, sta- it's a stationary movement, but it's a yeah. pulling movement. Yeah. If you weren't pulling, you know, it's just it's hanging. just that your pulling uh, force is equal to the gravitational force. That's why that yeah. you, you stay yeah. you stay you know solid. Um, but uh, so yeah, it'd but, be interesting to kind of have a, have a play on Squarespace and see. I might. I don't know when you did your trial because you were you had a a quick look at it a couple of weeks ago and you were like, okay, this is pretty. I think cool. I spent about a couple of hours playing around and I, I got it looking more or less how the book looks. So I wanted everything to tie in. Yeah. I wanted people to go to the website. Oh damn it! Think, I meant oh. to send you the background, didn't I? I'm sending you the background. I'll do that. Oh, remind yeah, yeah. me. Remind me to send you the background. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll did, put that in. I'll the, see I did if the it, background for the. I think you should. I should think I should be able to do that. Did that background for the thing, didn't I? For the but it's uh, yeah. I wanted everything to tie in, um, but it was so easy to use. And I think it was a fourteen-day trial, and I just paid for it. Uh, I just thought, yeah, I'll, I'll, this is amazing. Pay for it straight away. I think it's. I'll send you the picture. dollars. Actually, or no, I haven't. I? Of the t-shirts. I was going to say, if I send you the picture of the t-shirts, you can tweet it out. Yeah, I want to try and get some t-shirts going as well. What do you think of those guys or whatever? But... Most people might not, but, but I think you know, maybe it'd be. Yeah, that's what I say. If, if you get, on a t-shirt, if, maybe. yeah, if it's a, if it's a branded t-shirt. With just your logo and it's 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 a cool T-shirt. Then if you put too much on it, it ends it into an advert, and you don't want it to be an advert T-shirt. You want it to be a branded T-shirt. You want people to be wearing your T-shirt, not advertising the fact that, that they're wearing your T-shirt kind of thing. Yeah. If that makes yeah. any sense at all. It yeah, makes exactly. Sense in my yeah, head yeah. When I was saying it. Yeah. So if you just had, you know, if you just had the the complete kind of things, yeah, the two yeah. C's, the two. So my T-shirts are the CF. Yeah. It's not chrisrossonphotography.co.uk with your phone number, yeah, yeah, email address. It's not my business card on a T-shirt. It's it's the logo. So. Yeah. No, really cool. So before we before we go, I'm going to because you sent over last week, and um, we said we were going to put it on here, and I'm going to put it on now, and then we're going to have a chat after it's played. Yeah. So I'm going to put on now. Is it chapter four? I think you sent me. Chapter I think I sent four. you chapter four. Yeah. So it's chapter four from. Pegasus I was a bit limited one. because the email attachment file was like 25 meg or something. So I just I just picked. Pick the one, the one that was, was under the, 25 meg. Right, yeah. Okay. So chapter, chapter one four. was bigger, was it? Yeah, I think chapter one was twenty seven, something like that. That's mental because these podcasts are an hour and well, nearly two hours long, and I can just about. I try to keep them underneath fifty meg. Try to keep them under fifty meg so that you can because if they go over fifty meg, you can't download them. On um, you have to be on Wi Fi to download over fifty meg on a podcast. Right. Okay. Um, because the podcast app won't let you. Well, the right. iTunes podcast app anyway. Um, so I try and keep them under fifty meg. I don't know how well I do at that, but so yeah, it's just staggered me that. Like one chapter is. I don't. I mean, I've got no idea the recording days. setup that um, yeah. that, that Steve had. Um, it's good quality. I mean, it's loads better quality than this. This is just an iPhone recording. So yeah. But, uh, yeah. So you're going. You're now going to get chapter four. Doesn't give of, to it. Doesn't give of too much Pegasus right. one. Yeah. Do you want to give a bit of a breakdown before, or are you just going to rock into it? Should uh, we just play it? God, why is chapter four again now? Chapter four is the phone call um, that the president gets. Ah yes, yeah. So uh, that's all. Well, no, we're going to see we'll play, Yeah, we'll play now. Yeah, we'll play now. So here you yeah. go. So this is this is Pegasus. Actually, you introduce it. It's your bloody book. This is Pegasus one, and this is uh, chapter four. Um, so we're just getting we're just getting into the story now. A few things have happened. A, a signal's been or radio signal's been intercepted from outer space, um, and a presence has been informed by um, a member of. The NSA, I think it is. 
That's yeah, the NSA, I believe. There we go. And this is read by Steve Barnes, uh, Canadian. Yeah, there you go. Available on Audible.com and Amazon.com. It's very, really, very really soon. soon. Yeah, very, very soon. Here we go. Yeah. Chapter Four, Mister Franklin. Although the phone call between Christian Walker and the administrator of NASA was thought to be private, there was, in fact, another pair of ears listening in. That set of ears belonged to Eric Hobbs, a high-level analyst working for the National Security Agency. It wasn't unusual for all sort of communications to be intercepted and tracked, and as the President and Paul Johnson had not always seen eye to eye when it came to the aims of NASA. One of the things that the President had done when coming into the first year of his first term was to make sure that the Administrator's phone was bugged and any and all calls were monitored. The Administrator was unaware of this, of course, and although not technically illegal, if the public found out that the government was eavesdropping on NASA phone calls, then President Franklin's popularity was likely to fall even further. No sooner had Christian informed Paul of the signal that they had found, Eric hung up, dialed another number with nimble fingers, and sat patiently waiting for the call to connect. The room that Eric was sat in was dark, small, and didn't look like an office that a senior member of the NSA would call home. But then again, Eric didn't look much like a government employee. He wore the clothes of one, but his general demeanor was relaxed laid back, and he gave off an air of unpreparedness. In reality, nothing could have been further from the truth. He had worked hard to cultivate the outward aura that he maintained, and years before, when he had been a young agent in the field, his nonchalant look and attitude had saved his life more times than he cared to admit. He stood up slowly and walked to the window, his thin hand prying open a small gap in the wooden blinds that were blocking the view outside. He peered around the grounds for a couple of seconds, until a familiar voice appeared on the other end of the line. "'This is the President.' Eric gave a little cough. "'Good afternoon, sir. Sorry to request your attention unannounced, but I have some news concerning NASA and SETI.' There was a slight pause on the other end of the line before the President answered, his voice quieter and lower than before, even though Eric was certain that he was alone. Go on. I intercepted a call between Paul Johnson and a NASA employee by the name of Christian Walker. Never heard of him, interrupted the President. What does he do? He works for SETI, sir. There was silence on the other end of the line. It stands for the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence. The President gave a little laugh that was halfway between a disbelieving giggle and a scoff. You phoned me for this, Eric? I've told you before, you're only to call me if you believe I have reason to be concerned. Stood in his office, Eric closed his eyes, and when he spoke there was the slightest hint of annoyance in his voice. If you would let me explain, sir, the man named Christian Walker informed the administrator that him and a colleague had detected a radio signal of unknown origin a little less than five light-years distant. The President didn't reply, and Eric took this as a sign that he should carry on. They concluded that it wasn't from any natural source, such as a star, quasar, black hole, or any other phenomena. This means that there's a possibility that it's alien in origin. 
the president gave a shocked laugh. You mean to tell me that NASA have made first contact? He exclaimed, his voice rising in excitement. Eric smiled. That's what they have deduced, yes. This is unbelievable! What did Paul say? Asked the president. You know the administrator. He was calm, collected, thanked the man for his call, and informed him that they would be picked up and brought to the NASA facility for a full debrief. Did he give any indication as to what he was going to do? A mission to the source, perhaps? A probe? Anything? The desperation in the president's voice was easy to hear. No, sir, replied Eric. It sounded to me like a mission to the source hadn't even entered into his wildest dreams. Silence stretched out between the two men, before the president finally spoke. Thank you, Eric. If I need any more, then I'll call. Goodbye. Goodbye, sir. President Edgar Franklin hung up the phone and walked wearily over to the Oval Office desk. He thumbed the intercom and spoke quietly into it. Hello, Emily. I'd like you to send in General Grissom. I understand that he's still in the building? Yes, he's still here, sir. I'll send him in. Thank you, Emily. That will be all. Edgar sat back and stared at the ceiling and ran the phone call he'd just had with Eric over and over in his head. If what he said was true, then it could be the ticket he had been waiting for. It was no secret that his first few months in office hadn't gone very well, and there were some people who said that it was a miracle that he had gotten elected at all. Here he was relatively new to the job, and already his approval ratings were at an all-time low. What he needed was a popularity boost, and out of nowhere, NASA may have just made first contact. As presidents went, Edgar Franklin was an unusual one. All that had come before him had been mostly men of dignity, honor, and class. That wasn't to say that he wasn't any of these things. But the one flaw that had the potential to be his downfall was that he cared far too much about what people thought of him. The other downside was that he would do almost anything to change this state of affairs. It didn't matter if it was a policy that he knew was wrong, a photo opportunity that he knew did not sit well with his conscience, or a fundraiser on behalf of people whose morals were questionable. If it improved his image and approval rating, he would do it. He had tried as hard as possible to get the right presidential look, but this had mostly failed. His thick graying hair and neatly trimmed beard could not help but give the outward appearance of a lumberjack in a suit, and his look was a constant source of material for satirists and political commentators. He was also a NASA obsessive, and had awarded more funding to the organization than almost any of his other predecessors. He had proudly been to well over one hundred rocket and spacecraft launches in his life, which was a record unlikely to be beaten any time soon, and was on personal terms with many of the astronauts. Edgar even remembered the first time that he had met Isaac Morse, and was not ashamed to say that he was the one that had been starstruck. For him, becoming an astronaut had been all that he ever wanted to be. But his poor math skills and inability to think quickly under pressure had been his downfall. 
although he got on very well with some of the astronauts. The same could not be said for the administrator himself. Paul Johnson was a man of almost iron-like integrity, and would put a stop to projects if it meant even the slightest risk to the men and women involved in the mission. He was brought out of his reverie by a quiet knock on the door, followed by a man in a smart suit walking in quickly. General Marvin Grissom was the most unimposing general that Edgar had ever seen, but as a veteran of nearly thirty years in the United States Navy, there weren't many people that dared to cross him. "'Evening, Marvin. Sorry to call you back. I understand that you were on your way out?' The general shook his head slightly. "'It's no problem, sir. Was there anything in particular you wanted to see me for?' Edgar stood up from behind his desk and walked round to the chairs situated in the middle of the room and gestured for Marvin to sit down. "'As a matter of fact, there was something.' He sat down and unbuttoned his jacket and laid it across the back of one of the chairs, not making eye contact with his guest. "'I received a call earlier informing me of a discovery made by the installation known as SETI. "'The search for extraterrestrial intelligence. Yes, I know it.' interrupted the general. Well, it turns out that two men who work there intercepted a radio signal from another solar system, about five light-years away. The general narrowed his eyes. What exactly are you implying, sir? asked Marvin, his voice completely even and calm. I'm saying that they've potentially made first contact, a radio signal from an intelligent species. Marvin looked at his hands as his strong fingers intertwined. "'And what exactly do you wish to do, sir?' The general's tone was friendly, but there was the slightest hint of hesitancy in his voice. "'I want NASA to grab this one by the balls. They've been sitting idly by for too long, and the public wants more.' Marvin looked slightly uneasy and shifted in his seat. "'I can assure you, sir, that Paul Johnson will not approve any mission without examining all of the potential consequences. The president scoffed. Yes, I know that. But something tells me that he'll shut this down. You mark my words. He'll want it buried. I know him too well. Anything that is even remotely risky he deems too dangerous to pursue. Do you know how hard my predecessors had to work to persuade him that the Mars mission was the right thing to do? Endless debates about how it shouldn't be done, that NASA wasn't ready for it, that the crew wouldn't make it back, etc., etc. In the end, the astronauts had to sit him down and tell him that they were more than prepared to take the risk, and only then did he finally cave in and give the mission the green light. He started pacing faster. This news needs to be made public or NASA will sit on it. Edgar was talking to himself now and he didn't even seem to notice that the general was still sat in the room. Mr. President, I have to advise strongly against doing anything rash. I think it best to meet with Paul tomorrow, if possible, and decide on a plan of action then. Edgar stopped pacing and looked the general square in the face. A meeting with Paul Johnson won't end well. He'll make sure of that. But if that's what you recommend... Then so be it. The general nodded and stood, straightening his jacket. If you have no further need, sir, I will retire for the evening. 
I'll be back tomorrow morning if you need me. Good night, Mr. President. Good night, replied Edgar, shaking Marvin's hand and walking him to the door. He saw him out and then moved back to his desk, slumping into the chair and attempting to rub the tiredness out of his eyes. He was right. Paul would shut this down. The world needed to know about the signal, and Edgar needed the good publicity. In an instant, he had made a decision. He grabbed a pen and paper and started planning. Cool. That's going up pretty pretty soon. I've got the final sort of okay, you know, yeah. thumbs up and stuff. Uh, and I guess it just takes them however long just to upload it up there and, and set everything up. Uh, yeah, it was all the artwork's done for it. And, yeah, it, it, was, it, was, it, was it was surreal listening to it back because you know, Steve had done quite a few of them before and I was completely new to the process and and it was just, it couldn't have been easier. You know, I, I, I put up a, a, a short... Um, audition yeah. text um, just uh, what I thought would be I think I, I think I put uh, sort of an action scene or some, something in there just so there's a, there's a bit of an emotion a bit of excitement yeah. and a bit of intensity um, so I could hear that in the in the actor's voice or in the narrator's voice um, and yeah it was just, it was done very quickly I mean Steve had another book that he was doing simultaneously or that, that, that was starting I think halfway through the time frame for this project and yeah. he got it done by end of uh, January um, he was even emailing me stuff on Christmas Day, I think, uh, yeah. or Boxing Day, maybe. Uh, your files to sort of listen to and fifteen minutes to approve and. Because you've done like a profit share on that, haven't you? So you're both going to be promoting it. So I'm guessing. Well, I don't know how, I don't know how does, much does, promoting he'll do actually, because does he um, have like a following? Does he have? Can you imagine I'm him having sure. people who enjoy the way he narrates, so buy his audiobooks? Almost, well, almost so. the yeah, same maybe. way that people buy the, the book because it's. But I, mean, I don't know. I don't know how many. I don't know how many copies I'm going to sell, really. I don't know if I'll sell any copies or if I'll sell thousands or hundreds or ten, just tens of them. I, don't, I really don't know. I've got no idea. Um, like I say, it's completely new to me. and I, I, I don't know how much promotion he will do. I think he's probably just busy doing that he's sort of stuff. I don't think yeah. narrating is the only thing he does. I think he does a bit of acting and a bit of cool. um, theatre work and, and things like that, a few plays. I, I'm guessing it must have been um, slightly... Because I can imagine, I can imagine a, a screenwriter or a director, uh, a writer-director kind of getting on set and, and listening to actors saying the words that he's written down. I think we mentioned it before, Kevin Smith saying that, oh, just do another take because I, I like hearing my shit being written, yeah. uh, being uh, being acted to. So yeah. I imagine it's something similar like that. It was, yeah, but I mean, because, the, because the audiobook came a while after I'd really completed Pegasus and things and I'd started working on other books at the time. And when I go back now and read it, it's kind of like... I can sense I've matured a bit more and got better as a writer. Yeah. So when hearing it back, I was like, nah, I, ch- I changed that bit now. <laughs> but that's always going to be the case. Yeah. You know, I'm sure, you know, once I've released Ancient Landing, once I'm working on Sol, I'll think, oh, man, I should have, ch- I, yeah, I could have done that better. Yeah. I could, that character development could have been, you know, deeper or... But you can't really hang on them because that was, at the time, that was the best that you could, that you were yeah. writing. So that was the best. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's almost a hats off that you're improving and your second book is... Is already better than the first one in. in yeah. In, in or at least I experience. at least I think it was. I sent a I sent a bit over to Mum to read, and she's like, "Oh, yeah, I read, read one chapter. It was thrilling." But you know, she's your mum. She's always going to be a bit biased. Yeah. The mum. You're like, "Oh, thanks, mum." Yeah. You never know what they. You know. You yeah. You've sent you've sent it to yeah. me as well. I'll uh, I'll have a read of that when I get back. Actually. Yeah. Because yeah, obviously I had I had a couple of shoots, um, after you sent it to me. But uh, yeah, I'm gonna have to flick through that when I get back home. Yeah. 
Cool. Really, really cool. Spot on. Right, so next, we reckon next Tuesday? Next Tuesday. And um, we'll do it, uh, we'll do it at mine. If you want, you can pop over and do it at mine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And hopefully my bow will have turned up. Yeah, let me know. Week. So, yeah, give them a buzz tomorrow and then just drop me a text. Because uh, yeah. we should be able to, if we can sort out a trip down to Merlin. I'll send, I'll send Grizzly Jim a message and see if he's, uh, see if he's in on Saturday. Yeah. Mr. Grizzly Jim, because he seems slightly more personable and less of a twat than the other guys. <laughs> Much more, yeah. That'd be cool. <laughs> I didn't mention it to him, actually. I, I, I probably shouldn't have said, yeah, but we came down, the other two guys in there were just complete mongs and we just didn't want to come back. So. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, but, cool. but maybe they, they need to know that, don't they? Any business yeah, needs yeah, to know that do. because they, if we lose that business or just, you know, if we do things better or, you know. Yeah. Right. Right. Spot on. Cheers, buddy. High five. Nice. Right, we, uh, we'll see you next week. 11. Uh, episode, episode 11, episode 18, all done and dusted. Guys, have a really good week, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye.